does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Oh, what's going on, everybody? Brian No in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook on the fan. You know, before we get to the Colts, I saw their playoff odds, Jimmy and the Pacers, who just boat raced Wemby and the Spurs. Take that, French freak. Huh? <laughs> Take that. 152 in your face. <laughs> Not great for the overbet over there as Wemby sat in the fourth quarter. I'm sorry about that, Jimmy, but, you know. It's the way it goes sometimes. It's all right. I forgot about Pop. I forgot about the 40 minutes or 38 minutes, whatever he played the night before in overtime. Mm. Should have seen the light. Didn't see it. You know what? It always makes sense after the fact. <laughs> or more sense most of the time. But I will say, Wimbenyama's game against the Toronto, it was an afternoon game. It wasn't a night game. So it, mm. it was like almost 24 plus hours of quote-unquote rest so eddie's calling bs on your little theory there jimmy is what it sounds like to me look do i feel like that greg popovich has evolved for new ways for load management maybe who's to say i mean he's 21 years old that's the only time they're coming to gamebridge 19 19 years old thank you proves my point further <laughs> I, I'm, I i realize i am officially entering into old man territory here brian but like I wanted to see more Wemby last night. I think Pacers fans probably did too, especially since they were up so big. Didn't get it. Down 30. There's no reason to put your franchise out there in a game that's decided. They're not a good team. Like San Antonio right now, not a good team. I want to see as much of them gelling together as possible. I don't care if you're down 20. I don't care if you're up 10. Want to wow. see more Wemby out there? You want it now? Did this tie directly into your better. bet? Who right? to say? Like, yes. Who, who yes. could possibly say? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. We needed six more points, and this <laughs> turns into we need to see the Spurs together gelling as we'll, a young we'll, roster. We'll, yeah, we'll never know. Why can't both be true? I needed five from him, and I'm not over here complaining. <laughs> um, what is the uh, what's the scale for you? The cold meter. That we've got working, Jimmy. Oh. Is, uh, it doesn't sound bad. I, I would put it at like a 2 out of 10, but I don't know how you're feeling on that scale. No, no, I, I feel great, but we have reached the stage of fall where the congestion, I think, is gone, but it took out my throat in the process last night. So I am. Oh, really? So I'm, you're I'm, rallying. I'm, 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 I'm rallying. We got the medicine ball, little Starbucks tea and honey. Yeah. We're ready to go, but yeah, I would say there's no pain here. It probably sounds painful. I think he's just got a, a horse because a horse voice because he was yelling at the television last night. Pop, get him back in there. I wish it was that. He was doing a Shaq Leonard impression. That's what was going on over there. By the way, Eddie, what topics do you think I could throw at Jimmy that might cause him to raise his voice and might then cause him to lose his voice, which would be kind of funny for the show. Yeah. Ooh, that'd be good. Probably you have to give him something Chiefs related that's kind of off brand to get him all defensive. Okay. Get him wound up. All right. Um, Chiefs related. Andy mm -hmm. Reid overrated. Something like that. Um, uh, Let me see. There Uh, has to be a line of believability to it, though, for me to take the bait. Their offense borderline sucks right now with those hack-wide receivers. They need Tyreek Hill, something like that. I mean, look, they won a Super Bowl without him, but I'm not going to sit here and say they wouldn't be a better (laughs) offense right now if the Cheetah was still there. That said, and this is the end of this because I want to talk about the Pacers, I want to talk about the Colts, the reason their defense is as good as it is, 
is what they did with the picks they got in the Tyreek Hill trade. So yeah, okay. Um, you know, maybe that's it. Is Eddie? I just I steer it away from the Colts and the Pacers too long. You know, and he tries like he's very diplomatic about it, but he he tries to. Yeah, I'm kind of like a. Uh, he's kind of like the Australian Shepherd. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. How they kind of like herd everything mm-hmm. around. I don't know <laughs> what kind of animal would I be, Eddie? And he's herding me back to like the Colts and the Pacers, and and I just kind of steer it over to like I don't know the Raiders or uh, the Detroit Pistons for some crazy <laughs> reason. Are you I think a, that could do it. Are you a barn animal or are you a another dog that he's trying to wrangle in? Because as um, as I I'd know, rather be a barn animal okay, myself. That's yeah. typically what Australian shepherds are known for: is they herd other animals back into the yeah. Back to the so what, barn. like like a sheep, probably. That's got to be it. Oh. That, 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 that yeah, I'm not like that. Will Levis sucks, man. As everybody in the off season, yeah. I want to be a different barnyard animal than a sheep. But I had an Australian Shepherd. True story. Really, Amigo. Yes, great Amigo name. was amazing. He was an awesome dog. He was crazy. I think some of it had to do. He drank antifreeze when he was like one year old. <laughs> And we had to get him drunk. There are pictures with my sister holding me go flat blackout drunk to get it out of his system. And that might have had something to do with his Man. quirky nature from that point on. He was the best. He I have a awesome. Texas blue healer, which is an Australian shepherd, mini cattle dog mix with healer yep. in there. So he's nice. He's a handful. But uh Let's go with donkey. How about a donkey? donkey. I yeah. like that. You see that with Schwarzenegger last night? Yes. I did. That was awesome. Uh, Arnold had his donkey on uh, with Peyton and Eli on the Manning cast. That was hilarious, man. That he might have really been good. my favorite Manning cast guest to this point. <laughs> he was a lot of fun. Um, let, let's start with the Colts here. and We'll get to the Pacers, but after the game last night, Monday night, Chargers uh, smoked the Jets by three touchdowns. Which was strange because the Chargers' offense did nothing. They channeled, channeled their inner Week Nine Colts, basically, right? Like it was similar. <laughs> it was oddly similar. Both teams scored the same amount of points, and the Chargers did it with defense and special teams. The Colts did it with defense. But after the game last night, they showed the ESPN analytics the chances to make the AFC playoffs. Okay, and I thought of you, Jimmy, because we kicked this around a little bit yesterday. You tell me how you're feeling about the Colts and their percentage chance, if you think it's accurate, and if you think their chances are in actuality better than the percentage chance right now. Okay, so we go in order. Chances to make the playoffs, according to ESPN Analytics, in the AFC, Chiefs, 99%. That feels good. Pretty much going to be there. Yeah. (laughs) Ravens, 96%. Dolphins, 92%. Hmm. That seem a little high to you at all, or I, people are just crushing. Like, it can't be good teams. Bam, bam, bam. Ninety-two percent to make the playoffs. I mean, to not be able to quote be good teams and be six and three at this point, I like my chances. <laughs> I do. I'm going to lose my voice with I those know. kind of uh, comments there, talking trash about my fins. But no, no, no. I was a compliment. Like I don't buy the narrative they can't be good teams. Oh, okay, good. Like, I, I, I think it is what it is. It's a narrative. Like they, they were in that game. The Chiefs have a yeah. good defense. Like this is not a team that's getting blown out in that game against Kansas City. I know the Buffalo game was head scratching, but I think they're a good club. I think it's a yeah. bad narrative. Yeah, hey, I'm preaching to the choir right there, Jimbo. <laughs> Jags, eighty-eight percent chance to make the playoffs according to ESPN. 
58% chance, the Bills. What do you think about that, first off? 58, just a little bit better than a 50-50 shot. That's in order, right? There's no one above them? Yep, nope. So they're fifth. Bills are fifth in this ESPN analytics pecking order, if you will. I'd probably say that's about right. They still have, what, one head-to-head with Miami? Is that correct? It's one head-to-head with Miami. They need one of those North teams to stumble. If they're going to squeak in, that's probably a coin flip. I'd say, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they play the Dolphins in week 18, which is kind of weird, right? Like, who knows if it's going to matter for both teams at that stage. So that would be great for the, I mean, it'll be a great week anyway, but for the league, they've added this game and week 18 is bills win and get in. What does Miami mm. do? I mean, they're probably not playing starters at that point, but maybe a quarter, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be fascinating. I don't know. Let's just hope it's not the other way around. (laughs) (laughs) And the fills are on top. So sixth in order, the Browns, 55% followed by the Bengals at 54%. That's interesting. Bengals have uh, just a slightly lesser chance to make it than the Browns, according to ESPN analytics. A lot of that's got to be the schedule because obviously the Bengals are playing better football than the Browns right now. If you look at the Bengals real fast, if you go through it, uh, they've got the tough games, Ravens, those at Ravens, at Jags, uh, at Steelers, divisional game, right? At Chiefs, you got some tough road games. Finish with the Browns. So the Bengals have a tougher path. Let's not forget the Browns finished in last place last year. So you get a couple of last place teams that they haven't played yet. You get at the Broncos, the Bears, and the Jets. <laughs> those, those are the last place teams from last season. That helps quite a bit. I think we gloss over that quite a bit is, you know, first place schedule. The Bengals pick up still to play. They just played the Bills and beat them. That was one of their first place games. Uh, the Vikings and also at the Chiefs. Compare that. Bills, Vikings, Chiefs. To Broncos, Bears, Jets. That's a big difference. (laughs) And that might give the Browns a leg up right there. I think they... You're looking at the North. Steelers, Browns, Bengals. At this stage, I think it's Cincinnati and Cleveland to get through. I think they send three. I think it's Pittsburgh that winds up missing the cut. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Cleveland at some point has to be able to show themselves offensively consistently week to week, right? Is it just going to be defense that's going to carry them? Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's got to be more than that. You got to find some more consistency. Amari Cooper is a baller, but Deshaun and, you know, ah, my shoulder hurts, you know. (laughs) Go in, PJ. You know, that's it's not working with the musical quarterback thing. Uh, Okay, eighth in the pecking order, the Steelers at 46% to make the playoffs. Chargers, after the win last night, 44% to make the playoffs. Houston at 27%. Then we get to the Colts. The Colts are 11th in the pecking order to make the playoffs, according to ESPN Analytics, a 16% chance, just slightly better than the Jets at 13%. That's probably about right. At this stage... That's probably about right. The percentage I gave out yesterday, which was 70% for them to make it, is them going 8-2 and two to close the year, or 6-2 oh, right, right. to close the year. Yeah. So this index is based on right now and the games that right. are played. 
the index I shared yesterday was simulating out what would happen depending on how they sure. do the rest of the way. Right. So that's probably well, it's, right. It's built on an if. Right. Like if they go eight and two and well, good uh, six and two, excuse me, and get to 10 and seven. That's what you're basing it on. Um, man, that's tough in the AFC. 10 and seven might be able to, you might be able to squeak in. Put it this way, it might be a tiebreaker. There might be a ten and seven that gets in and a ten and seven that gets left out. Maybe, right? That's where you scratch your head at the Browns game. You scratch your head depending on what happens against the Steelers. Like there's a lot of games still on the Colts schedule where it might come down to those tie breaks. And they're already out of it with Cleveland. They'll still play Pittsburgh in what, four weeks, five weeks? That's gonna be a big game if they are coming out of the bye week after Germany looking to still make the playoffs. If we go through their remaining schedule, what do you think their record is going to be? I know you're building the the Jimbo analytics scale <laughs> over here based on if they go 6 and 2. But they're against the Patriots in Germany. They've got Tampa at home, at the Titans, at the Bengals, Steelers at home, at the Falcons, finish up with two at home against the Raiders. And then the Texans. I, I mean, I see at least three or four losses there. Yeah, I, I think they're probably nine and eight, eight and nine, somewhere around there. When it's all said and done. Yeah, I mean, which is a frustrating part of the season because you don't have the Anthony Richardson development year, and the draft pick's going to be middle of the road. Yeah, but that's what the schedule is set up for them to do potentially. Maybe they get to ten and seven and they squeak in, but. In all likelihood, probably right around 500. If you've made me tell you what I confidently think is going to happen. Yeah, I think that I'm just going through a couple of these drafts just in recent years to see some of the talent in the middle of the draft. You know, think about, let's go back to 2021. Micah Parsons, who was just destroying things for the Cowboys. He was a 12th overall pick. You know, like that's that's big value. Tristan Wirfs. The year prior, a really good right tackle for Tampa. He was 13th overall. CeeDee Lamb was 17th overall for the Cowboys. Like You could go on and on. Justin Jefferson, stud wide receiver for the Vikings, he was 22nd overall. So I think that I hear you on you'd rather have as high a pick as possible, but this isn't the NBA draft, you know? Yeah. You can still get a, a lot more quality talent later in the first round hell later in the entire draft <laughs> yeah you're not going to find great talent left and right in the second round of the nba draft in the nfl draft whatever the equivalent is like the fifth round maybe you're going to find more talent more consistently in the fifth round of the nfl draft so i'm not as hung up on that as i would be with the pacers i agree with you let's just put it this way though i want things to be as easy as possible on chris ballard <laughs> I, I, if that means losing a couple extra games, I'm here for it. Make his job easier. I mean, it, it just sounds, Jimmy, like you might not have the utmost of confidence in one <laughs> CB right there based on that statement. Hey, I would hope that people want anybody's job to be easier. I'm just looking out for him. That's all I'm doing. I'm, I don't see what you're trying to say. I'm trying to help him out. Okay, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But uh, yeah, I would say that's the thing with the Colts. It's not just about what they need to do. They need help around them as well. When you're 
11th right now, just in, according to these ESPN analytics. That's one thing. If you look at the actual playoff picture right now, they are 12th in the pecking order. So think about that. You got to leapfrog one, two, three, four, five teams to get to at least the seventh spot. Like, you got to leapfrog five. That's a lot of leapfrogging, Jimmy. <laughs> I need the playoff machine. Where is it? The ESPN playoff machine lets me simulate all this out with every team seamlessly, and it's not there. Is it because <laughs> I'm too insane to be running playoff predictions week nine? Is that what it is? <laughs> like, I, I don't even know about this simulator. It's a yeah, regular thing. Yeah, you just ESPN plug always, stuff in. always puts out a playoff predictor probably around week 12, if I'm being honest. Oh, wow. And you week by week, you pick everything, and it simulates how the playoff picture would play out. Are you a big NBA trade simulation guy? <laughs> you ever do that with, does this trade, is this trade uh, possible? Did you lose a bet because Victor Wimbanyama did not score 21 points last night? I think is the answer to your question. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I did lose that bet, but I had a same gamer as well that I shrunk it a little bit. But that doesn't. 17 and a half is all I needed. Okay. Man. Or, you know, maybe five more minutes too. of action. I have got just a heartbreaking betting story to share with you guys later. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And it, it it tied to the game last night. What was already a heartbreaking story got even more heartbreaking. You didn't win me some money, though, by the way. Did you take my advice? I did. They both hit, right? Garrett Wilson over receiving yardage and, and Justin Her- crazy legs, Justin Herbert. I'm telling you, man, keep your eye on that, Eddie. You too, Jimmy. Quarter, quarterbacks running against the Jets. It has been a consistent trend this year. I have hit on that many times where it's like, oh, Tyrod Taylor? Yeah, take him against the Jets. They play man coverage. Quarterback gets pressured. He's, he's got to tuck it and run, make something happen. It happens all the time against the Jets defense. I'll to monitor that moving forward. And for me, in terms of betting-wise, the only real positive last night, I hit a rare first basket. Shout out to the Pacers. Nice. Went with Tyrese Halliburton. Wow. He winds up getting it done. And, <laughs> and, and it, it was the bright spot for me on a gambling perspective of a fantastic night for the Pacers. 115-111. They tie a franchise record for points in a game as well as points and a half, I believe. They matched both of those. Yep. It was outstanding. I mean, all this wow. hype around Victor Wembanyama coming in, and I know he was fatigued probably from the night before, and I get it. He was on a pitch count to some extent, but – they didn't let it even be a conversation. They came out, blitzkrieged them out of the gate, thought they defended really well, and they're a team that feels like on a nightly basis they can outscore anybody. They handily outscore them in the first half, and then, this is weird to say coast, they coasted with two 33-point quarters in the second half wow. to finish 152. It was incredible. That's insane. That's just high-level offense right there. And the stats, this is crazy. So 86 points scored in the first half by the Pacers. That's the most in any half given up by a, a, a Greg Popovich Spurs team. That's the most a, a wow. Greg Popovich coached Spurs team has given up in any half in any game. That's crazy. Pop has been around a long time. <laughs> a long That's an time. awesome stat. Yeah, and that I like this too. It ties the most points in a half 
in Pacers history. <laughs> so I don't know what, what year it occurred where they scored 86 and a half before, but they tied that mark last night. It was 1990 against the Warriors when that happened, when they scored 86 and a half. Do you remember the game, Eddie? Uh, no. Were you I, around? Were you negative <laughs> three at was, the time? I was negative eight. Negative eight. <laughs> and you don't remember that game, man. No. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's a good nugget right there. Got to go back all the way to what are they doing scoring 86 and a half in 1990? It's a completely different era. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They I want to see the box like score 70 free throws. First yeah. half over, maybe. I don't know. Man. <laughs> They were just scorching hot in that game. Um, but, man, shout out to the Pacers last night. That's, it's just fun to watch. When they've got the offense flowing like that, it's one of those things. When you watch the, the Warriors, even now, but especially at their peak, when they're moving the ball, it is, it's poetic. <laughs> it is. It's just like, this is gorgeous. And when the Pacers have it flowing, man, it is really, really fun to watch. 38 assists last night. 52% from beyond the arc. They got to the foul line at will. It, it was a great evening all around for the Pacers. It's a good step forward for them in terms of just seeing once again what this offense can do when it's at its peak. And there was a lot of hype around this Spurs team, rightfully so, not just because of Victor Webinyama, but hey, look at what they've done the last couple of weeks. Are they going to be ahead of schedule this year? Or is it a development year? I can't make that distinction just yet, but... They never let it be a conversation. They got after him early, and it was curtains the rest of the way. The only complaint I had, and it's mainly a tongue-in-cheek complaint, TJ McConnell, why do you have to be such a good sport? Why do you have to honor sportsmanship in that way? They had a chance late to try to break the record, and I knew they weren't going to do it, but McConnell dribbles out for a shot clock violation. That's all she wrote. At the, what, in the first half? At end of the, end of the, uh, very end of the very game. Very end of the game. And this, to be clear, there was no money on the line here. I just uh-huh. wanted to see history. And selfishly, I did see kind of history. They share the record now. But I wanted them to be solely alone. And they took the shot clock violation, which is, again, a you very weird take complaint. The violation. Yeah, I you mean, gotta... look, yeah, I, I understand. I understand I'm in the wrong here. I'm being selfish. <laughs> but that's my only complaint. And if that's the only complaint you have after that game, pretty solid night man i'll tell you two things come to mind and i can't remember both situations perfectly so you guys might have to help me out um when you don't like you know not shoot that's probably (laughs) the wrong sense when you uh when you just jack up a shot when you should let the shot clock run out and do the classy thing man that sticks with the other team and i remember (laughs) i'm almost positive it was jamal murray against the Celtics and this was within the last couple of years but I think it was Jamal and it was to get to 50 points and uh, I think he let one fly from deep and uh, he made it and got to 50 points and if I remember correctly the Celtics are looking at him more than sideways like (laughs) bro what are you doing the other time this is hot tub time machine type stuff Remember when Doug Collins was a head coach? I swear he was the head coach in this game. He was on the opposing um, bench. And it was this weird scenario where one of these guys, he needed a rebound to get a triple-double. And so the guy at the end of the game, he goes up for a layup, intentionally misses it, 
so he can get the rebound he needed. And I think he went back <laughs> up and scored. And Doug, the, the player went over to Doug Collins, and Doug just ghosted him. He just <laughs> walked right by him like, you don't do that. You, you don't just disgrace the game. <laughs> Like that. So, yeah, you can really screw up by doing stuff like that. I know you're just joking around, yeah, Jimmy, I mean, but yeah, it just I mean, got it, me thinking about that. I mean, there's plenty of memories like it. There's one, I can't remember who did it. I don't know if it was Jordan Poole. I don't know who it was, but there's a clip that's always goes viral every now and again of the Warriors bench when KD was there, and they're up in a blowout, and a player throws it off the backboard and dunked it in-game. Cool. And, like, the Warriors, you, they, you see a zoom in of different angles. They're like, did he just do that? Like, that really just happened? And, like, Steve Kerr pulls him aside. He's like, hey, we we, we don't do that here. We're up, like, 40. Let's <laughs> So he does it with it the, uh, the Wizards the other night, and they're down by 30. Really? Yes. <laughs> well, I don't know if it was pool with the Warriors clip. Am I right on that? Is that I don't it was? know. You, you could be right, but I'm just saying they were down, like, 30 the he other night, again. and he That's did funny. it in the middle of the game. Yeah. Wow. By the way, I'm looking at uh, rushing yardage. Against the Jets, someone with uh, regional, not quite local ties, but regional ties. Uh, We'll get you that nugget right around the corner here. Um, So if you're looking at taking the opposing quarterback to rush against the Jets, uh, there's some interesting nuggets when it comes to that. We'll get to that right around the corner. I'm Brian, though, in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Query and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. So, Jimmy, if you're thinking about taking my advice and betting on the opposing quarterback that's facing the Jets' defense, that would be Raiders quarterback Aiden O'Connell. Huh? Shout out, Purdue. Boiler up. So what he's done so far in the NFL, he had uh, three rushing attempts for three yards against the Chargers. He had, this was not a full game, but he had zero attempts for zero yards against the Bears. And then in his second NFL start, Against the Giants, he had zero rushing attempts for zero rushing yards. <laughs> so, <laughs> really going to test the theory this uh, Sunday night if you're so inclined. But uh, I would not go all in on that because Aiden O'Connell has not shown that he is a fan of tucking it and running exactly. What will that prop be? I would say... Uh, it's probably going to be something gross. Like Matthew Stafford's number is normally around like two and a half. <laughs> it might be something like that if it's even offered for Aiden O'Connell. But I would guess it'd be low like that. He has a rushing touchdown in that game you're referring to against the Chargers. Mm-hmm. I don't know the play where he scored. QB sneak. Okay, I would so imagine. I, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I would assume his rushing yards he compiled were of the QB sneak variety, not scramble drill. Right go pick up two yards because the defensive end is closing. You know what I mean? That's the thing with uh, flashback to Tom Brady. They would put his rushing prop at like like .5. (laughs) (laughs) Is he going to have one sneak for one yard? Or And you got to think about the kneel downs potentially. That's just gross. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane where you would lose yards. Like Burrow. 
on Sunday night. He lost about three yards at the end because of those three kneel downs against the Bills. That has to be the worst way. That happened to Mahomes in the Super Bowl against yeah. the Niners. Yeah. It cost a bunch of people a ton of money because he had kneel downs at the end and his rushing yards prop the under hit because of that. Can you imagine having oh. a bunch of money on the line? Oh. And they're in a position to kneel on the ball, and you're like, oh, no, man, no. I've never had it happen. Furiously knocks on wood <laughs> in that form, but I've lost a fantasy matchup that way. Oh, we, really? We, we had a bonus on yardage if you got like over, I think, 20 or 30, and the kneel downs got me in the end. I lost the bonus, and I lost by two. So That's I've never rough, had it happen man. in the betting world, but I've had it happen there. It's a cruel. Ah, it's a cruel thing. That is a that's a cruel <laughs> reality right there. Be a sweet way to win though. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> great. You're you're you went to bed. You're like yeah, I lost. It's over. And you wake up the next morning. What? Hold on. Oh, they kneeled down twice. Yes. Be, be a tremendous suck out victory right there. I remember the the bad beats way more than the suck out wins. Way more. Way more. By the way, uh, college hoops. So a little bit last night with <laughs> Purdue. They win. I love this. Zach Eady won the initial tip-off against a guy that was 5'8". Five, 5'8 eight. <laughs> five against Zach Eady. What is Zach exactly? 7'5"? Something like that. Yeah. Something around there. Yeah, and the 5'8 guy, man, that's... Uh, that's been a trend at times with the Victor Wembanyama tips. It's like we're just going to have some fun with it. Let's put somebody out there that is undersized and, and just see what happens, right? And I guess you see that last night on the Purdue side of things. I went real crazy a couple nights ago. Uh, a friend of the show, we frequently have him on to cover the Pacers, Tony East. I was on his podcast, Locked on Pacers, talking about where the Pacers are early in the season. Mm-hmm. And we got to Wembenyama, and I told him, how are you going to defend him? Like, what are you going to do defensively? Who has that matchup regularly? And we were evaluating where they would go. And I said, you know what? Mainly joking. But I was like, first possession or two, just put TJ McConnell on him. Just see what happens. Maybe he's going to get steals because how high the dribble is. Maybe he'll be so taken aback by the potential mouse in the house that it'll fluster him. See what happens. I'm not saying that would have worked. and It didn't matter. But clearly other people are using smaller guys, even if it is for a laugh, on the size disadvantage that happens with these giants. Miles won the tip last night against Wembenyama. He, he did indeed. That is an awesome, like little bragging rights type thing. It would be in football if, a, like, a middle linebacker picks up a fumble or intercepts a pass and then just looks like a running back. You know what I mean? Or, or like a remember when Keith Trailer? This is way back when, but of the of the Bears defensive lineman, huge, huge player. And I forget if it was an interception or he scooped up a fumble, but he is just running like the wind at, man, at least 350 pounds, at the very least. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> My favorite is from a couple of years ago, the Dolphins offensive lineman picks up the fumble or whatever, and he scores a touchdown by doing the flip because he gets oh. upended into the end zone, but it doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, there have been a few of those. There was a Patriots offensive lineman that had his moment in the sun on a kickoff return. But, yeah, if you win a tip against Wemby, I mean, that is bragging right stuff right there. So shout out to Miles Turner. That's awesome. That was great. Look, I mean, people are tracking it online. I think uh, Worldwide Wob or Rob Perez, as he's known uh-huh. uh, on Twitter, has been tracking that. I think he's lost two tips now. 
I think he, I think uh, Wembenyama <laughs> lost awesome. the other tip. Uh, I think it might have been the Raptors game. I can't remember which one, but he's lost two now at least. One of which is Miles. Yeah, that's something you hang your hat on for sure. Um, have you seen the movie Uncut Gems? I have. That's what it makes me think of because yes. there's a like at the end his parlay, a big leg of it <laughs> was Kevin Garnett winning the initial tip yep. against the Sixers <laughs> and. Uh, he's like, that was the biggest leg of the parlay right there. <laughs> something I forget exactly yeah. what he said, but something along those lines. I wonder if some degenerate had the Pacers covering the spread, like the Pacers team total over, and Miles Turner winning the initial tip-off, you know? Maybe there's a Adam Sandler uncut gems-like character in real life that had something along those lines last night. I don't I've, know. I've never gone that deep on DK, but I know that you can juice your parlays a little bit if you add in who's going to score the first basket because that yeah. the odds are, are so crazy on those that if you have a simple like Tyrese Halliburton over 20, Buddy Heald over one and a half, three, something like that, you could then throw in a who's going to score the first basket and it instantly juices whatever you were concocting to begin with. The idea of throwing the tip out there is crazy. And I don't know That's, if there's a way yeah. to bet who wins the tip. I have no idea. I, yeah, I'm sure like anything there has else. to be, right? You could, oh, absolutely. No? You could really get into that. Yeah, you could absolutely bet on that. I never have um, myself, but hey, listen, if, <laughs> if people study it and find an edge, I don't care what you're betting on. If you can find an edge on anything, NFL preseason, <laughs> initial tip-off in basketball, I don't care what it is. Like, some of these people would be like, oh, my gosh, that's so degenerate. And my response is like, so? <laughs> like, if it hits, it hits. I don't care what you're betting on. If you can find an edge, take it. If Vegas is going to play you, it shouldn't then be frowned upon for you to try to play Vegas. You find your edge and you go there attack you go. it. There is, I'll tell you real fast, there was this legendary bad beat story. I want to say it was during the NFL season last year. And some guy, he had he had a parlay of like five different games who was going to score the first touchdown of the game. <laughs> and he's right every step of the way. And the last leg, I'm not even joking, this is brutal. Probably, maybe the worst beat of all time. The last leg was Vikings wide receiver Justin Jefferson, who scored a touchdown to win the parlay for literally like a million dollars. They went to review. They overturned it. He was slightly short of the end zone. And somebody else scored, and the guy doesn't win a million dollars. That... Even my heart hurts when I hear something like that. <laughs> you could have had something like that last night on the Manning cast. They have Arnold Schwarzenegger on, and the ball's the 21. At the time, just full disclosure, DraftKings had a first team to get in the red zone bet. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they boosted it. Yeah. I, I, I may or may not have been on the Chargers. Nice. And, and, and so they're at the 21, and I'm like, okay, oh. all I need is just a simple little handoff, get the first down, you're good. Eckler goes what appears to be 21 yards. Arnold Schwarzenegger called the shot. Peyton's putting his face at the top of the uh, Manning cast board of predictors because he called it before they got to the red zone. Uh-huh. And I'm like, all right, this bet's just not going to happen. That's brutal. And then all of a sudden, because the Manning cast is showing the Schwarzenegger celebration, they put the field back in play on the live shot and the offense is back out there. And I'm like, 
Well, Brandon Staley's pretty crazy. Are they going for mm-hmm. two here? They marked no. him short. He was out at the one. Oh, that's a red zone play. That's Chargers beautiful. Oh, that awesome. is gorgeous yeah, right great. there. It's great. Man, I hadn't even, I should have, but I hadn't even thought about that. If you're at the 21, I'm almost just, my brain says you're going to be in the red Correct. zone. Peyton but if you score said a 21 that. yard touchdown, yes. it's like they were never actually nope. in the red zone. Didn't take uh, a snap in the red zone. Sorry gosh. about you. Oh, you know, I've got a couple from last night, super fast. So, uh, DK, yet again, you can find some edges. I won a few times on this, but um, it can bite you as well. The the drive where Keenan Allen had the unbelievable catch. So uh, to get to 10,000 career receiving yards. So I had the, the Chargers not getting to midfield. They had a couple of conversions on third down. They end up getting to midfield, and uh, I can't remember or not if that the Keenan Allen I I like I, I doubled down and went they won't get to the thirty five Keenan Allen on third and four makes this unbelievable catch, and then I'm like okay they just have it working on this drive <laughs> I'll have them getting past the twenty yard line Herbert rushes to exactly the twenty yard line and they kick a field goal. And I lost. They have to be inside the 20. It was a disastrous drive right there. Man. It was awful. It's terrible. One hundred nine with it, kids. I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I have a, it was a heavy betting weekend. Holy cow. I don't know if I should even tell you this because you can already tell that. Uh, <laughs> I don't, the, uh, I don't the, have the voice to offer the proper is, sympathy, so yeah. Eddie might have to take it here. What is it from uh, Star Wars? Like, uh, the Force is strong with you. The Degenerate is strong you with you. you yeah, go. yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, man, so last bet of the evening, Jets can't score, right? I had them no offensive score, final drive. And they had no touchdowns. They're down by 21. They're not going to kick a field goal. So I'm like, the Chargers just have to prevent a touchdown. So the Jets convert on fourth down twice. And the second conversion, they're around midfield. They convert on about fourth and four, fourth and five, all the way down to the Chargers 10. And I'm like, this is not good (laughs) at all. First down, they rush to the six. Second down. I don't know if I have the the, uh, audio for you here. I cut some of it up. Yeah, here you go. This is... (laughs) CJ Uzama is my new favorite player. Wide open. <laughs> just drops a touchdown. This is how it sounded on ABC and ESPN. Second down and goal. Wilson to the end zone and with a wide open Uzama, it's incomplete. They cannot find Man. a combination to the lock on the end zone yet. It's third down and goal. Listen to Troy. This is great. Right off his shoulder pads on the chest plate. <laughs> Not good. It was great if you had no offensive score on the final drive. Third down, Zach Wilson scrambles for a little bit. Fourth down. Oh, I can't even make this up. This is a highly stressful night, and uh, this is how the final play of the Jets sounded. Fourth down and goal, and shot out of the end zone. That's fitting right there. Is Conklin... No touchdowns allowed tonight by the Chargers. He got tackled at the one. Actually, inside the one, Jimmy. 
I don't. Oh, I don't. If he scores, it would have wrecked the night. Wrecked it. I don't fully blame Zach Wilson because I think the Jets O line is not great. But that leads to my next point, which is, I don't care if we're on a miracle journey with Aaron Rodgers. I wouldn't want to go back out there if I'm him. I don't. I don't trust anything right. about the Jets, even if I had medical clearance, and they might not even still be in the playoff picture by the time he could potentially return. If we're still entertaining that idea, I, I want no part of the Jets right now. Yeah, that that's the thing, man. Only four snaps for Aaron Rodgers before the Achilles went snap. You know, yeah, not good, not good, not a good uh, ratio right there. And that's the weird thing is the conversation after Aaron Rodgers got hurt was all about the field. It, that's all it was about. And if you watch those plays, Aaron Rodgers couldn't move before he got hurt. He couldn't move. <laughs> I'm like, he looked much older. So I'm with you on that, Jimmy. Is It's not a good combination. Aaron Rodgers, he used to be able to move pretty well. That day, like Denzel said in training day, <laughs> that day is dead, yeah. dog. Yep. We don't, he don't roll like that no more. Like That's basically Aaron Rodgers now. So bad combination with that offensive line. And really it, bad. And it goes back to the whole playoff picture. Like if, if I'm looking at teams that I'm not hitching the wagon to, Right. Jets are one of them. I mean, there, there's plenty in that on the bubble range, assuming that we don't get four teams from the same division for the first time in NFL history. Somebody's got to make that leap. I said yesterday the safest pick is probably Buffalo. The Jets have fallen down that list for me. I mean, you, you lose a potential. They need to treat a lot of these like playoff games, right? Chargers are another team that's breathing down their neck, fighting for that last spot as you're projecting things out. I, I don't see it for the Jets. I don't see it this year. If I'm Rodgers... This is the tail end, even if you were medically cleared, right. unless there's a legitimate chance for playoffs, why would you try to come back out there and not take the luxury of one more off season to make sure you're fully healthy? Well, that's my thing, too, is I think it's great that Aaron Rodgers is ahead of schedule and he's doing everything he can to rehab and get back in there. And I think that's awesome, but this <laughs> not everything ends with Josh Dobbs with the Vikings in the storybook ending. You know what I mean? Like, this is less about Rodgers and more about your quarterback is Zach Wilson, okay? Like, your offense didn't score an offensive touchdown last night. And somehow they've got to navigate through at the Bills, Dolphins, uh, at the you get the Dolphins twice, at the Browns. <laughs> like, you got to navigate through all of that, everybody in your way to sneak into the playoffs in the AFC. And then maybe Aaron Rodgers is good to go. I, I just don't see how that's going to work out at all. I think it'll play exactly how Rodgers hopes. He'll get all this hype. He'll get the, oh, is he really going to come back? Mm-hmm. They'll be knocked out of playoff contention, essentially, by the time it's time to come back. And then somebody will, quote unquote, air quotes for the YouTube chat, save him from himself. Eh, no, we're shutting down Aaron. We, we don't have a shot at the playoffs. We're, we're shutting him down. But he still gets the heroic flowers of, oh, man, he, he was going to play. Yeah, like, yeah. He was going to come out there. I like, your theory. I like your theory right there. By the way, the line of the night with the Jets down by three touchdowns on fourth down at the very end of the game, this is what Troy Aikman said. Analytics says go for it, by the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. That was a great, great line by Troy Aikman right there. Very nice. Nicely done by him. All right, coming up next. We're talking about tip-offs. There was a whole promotion last night 
around the initial tip-off. Very funny stuff. We'll share it with you. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Quarry and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. This is great. There was a whole promotion last night from Samford. So that was Purdue's opponent. Purdue um, started the season with a, a cool 98-45 to win over Samford. The Bulldogs just did... Uh, <laughs> who, who, what was it? Fairly Dickinson? The shortest team in college basketball yep. that beat Purdue yep. in the NCAA tournament? I... Uh, Samford didn't run it back. You know what I'm saying? Like the initial tip off featured a five eight player. This is Dallas Graziani. And Samford, God bless him, they did a whole promotion off of this. They had a, a big push on Twitter slash X, and it says the tip heard round the basketball world. Heart over height. <laughs> Edie versus Graziani. And uh, tip last night was on Big Ten Network, Samford versus Purdue. And uh, they had some fun with it, man. They had some uh, creative things to post about Edie versus Graziani. It didn't work out. So, uh, I mean, if there was a betting line on that one, it had to be Zach Edie <laughs> minus, I don't even know, what, like 2,500, something just insane like that. But they did force a backcourt violation off the tip. I don't know if you caught that. Sanford forced Purdue into a backcourt violation immediately off of the tip. So, what's the ruling on that? Well, Purdue obviously won the tip, and I can't remember if it was Fletcher Lawyer or Braden Smith. I think it was Fletcher Lawyer. He had the ball across the timeline, and he had already dribbled once, discontinued his dribble, and he was kind of caught in the corner. Okay, well, that's different. I gotcha. I'm thinking if something wild happened, let's say there's a, a tip... Uh, deflection just goes right out of bounds. You right. know what I mean? Something weird like that. I, I don't know what, what the ruling would be. There has to be... Has there ever been a time where someone was just too aggressive and too fired up for the initial tip and just batted it out of bounds? I don't know if that's I, I'm sure. I'm sure there has been. You think so? Yeah. I mean, you think about how many jump balls to open a game Man. there have been in the history of basketball. There's no way there hasn't been one. You've got to be unnecessarily wound up to do that <laughs> to You're miss just all other You're players on the go. court yeah there's eight other guys they couldn't <laughs> save it from going out of bounds it's definitely happened and even if it's not because of full-scale rage it's most certainly happened because everybody's fighting for the ball they're being physical to open the game and it just rolls out of bounds like that that's for sure happened so what are the odds uh, this is funny now with uh, indiana tonight they're going up against Florida Gulf Coast for the initial tip-off. I don't know if we could even find such a thing. Maybe. You mean in terms of like where the who's going to yeah. win the tip? Yeah. <laughs> or like if there is an actual, I would never bet on this blindly without knowing anything about it. But um, I would love to know if there was a betting line. Or you know, for the NBA, there have to be tip-off betting lines. I don't I don't know if your online sports book of choice does it. 
I, I really don't know the answer to that. In terms of tonight's game, looking on DraftKings, in-game props, I don't see anything regarding tip-off. Best I can get is to go to overtime. Yes, is plus 1,300. Yeah, that's, I don't like betting on that. I never have. Have you? No. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I, I misspoke, by the way. They almost did. They did not force the backcourt violation, but it was close. It's close. It's good. Glad, glad we got. They made him work for it. <laughs> <laughs> Just such a weird thing. Like I get it. That's great. Like I'm, I'm happy for Samford, and um, I don't know Brian because I, I don't know if you have the article in front of you. I have a couple of them. I'm not seeing if like this was tied to like charity or something like that, or if it was just a promotion. If it was tied to charity, then I clap my hands. Yeah, vigorously for them because that's really cool to be able to have something like that. If it's not and it was just a promotion, like that's great. But how long do those vibes of hard over height go when you lose by like seventy or fifty, whatever they lost by? Right. (laughs) Like, yeah. I mean, James Madison and granted, that's two different states of those programs. Madison, I think, is picked to win their conference preseason. Goes into Michigan State and they're not treating it like it's you know some gimmicky yeah. thing they're out there to win and they upset Izzo and company on opening night at East Lansing like it that only goes so far for me no I hear you I, I get it man and uh, that's the serious part of the fun uh, thing there where Sanford's like hey we got a 5'8 guy's <laughs> initial tip against Zach Eady let's have some fun we'll put a couple of things on X we'll put a video up there and make a cool Photoshop graphic that's all fun but I hear you trust me I do where I mean, you can have some fun at sports, but at the end of the day, it's got to be serious to some extent. You're competing. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't want to take the fun in games too far, exactly. And I don't think they necessarily did, but it's just, it's you have that promotion, it's great, and then you get absolutely worked like you're mm. expected to in that situation because it's it's the non-conference, early play of teams, the opener. Like We know how these matchups are, and then you get rolled. Like That's... That only takes me so far, unless you were probably rightfully so, if you're a realist on that side, realizing you're about to get that work from the Boilermakers, at which point, go out there, do your thing. Yeah. Okay, so at 2 o'clock, we'll have Stephen Holder on. Does a great job covering the Colts for ESPN.com. KB, Kevin Bowen, our main man at 2.30. Right around the corner, Scott Agnes covers the Pacers, does a magnificent job. We'll talk about the exceptional offensive output last night from the Pacers and also Miles Turner winning the initial tip-off against Wemby. Beautiful. Take that, French freak. Take that. Hopefully you had that in your parlay. (laughs) Scott, right around the corner. I'm Brian, though, in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Quarry and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Pleased to welcome in Scott Agnes. He covers the Pacers for Fieldhouse Files and 1075thefan.com. Scott, what's going on, man? Did you have, uh, I shouldn't ask you if you had money on the initial tip-off, but were you surprised that uh, Miles Turner won the initial tip-off against Wembenyama, who is, uh, I think, seven foot eighty or something over there? Yeah, I don't know how you couldn't be. I think he's won, at least as far as I've seen, every tip 
leading into this game. And on top of that, Miles doesn't win a ton of them uh, historically. So, yeah, that actually absolutely was a, a good start and a, a good sign of things to come last night for Indiana. Scott, how did you feel overall? I know Weminyama was coming off a of back-to-back. I know that they went to overtime the night before. How did you feel like they were able to, I don't want to say contain, but they definitely took advantage of his fatigue and limited him pretty well. The offense is clicking like that. No one's coming back. But how did you feel like they operated defensively against Victor? Yeah, I thought the Pacers did exactly what they should do in a a scenario like this, right? This is a very difficult back-to-back because not only did they have a game the previous afternoon, but they had to travel halfway across the country from Texas. And so uh, you got a young team, an experienced team, a a team that hadn't come together, right, just because of the pure inexperience. And they, they didn't take them lightly. And they left it to, you know, they left it to uh, no question here, led the entire game. And, and I thought they weren't intimidated by Victor. They were curious, I think might be the best way to put it, because he's such a unique talent, basically a point guard in a center's body that can do a little bit of everything. But they weren't intimidated out there and just dominated every single quarter. Um, just a few games into the season, Scott, what would you say that you like the most about the Pacers so far this season and what you like the least? Yeah, I think it's it's the high scoring, as we all expected. This is no surprise to anyone. Um, there's certain things within the offense, still tweaks that need to be made, guys that can maybe assert themselves more or get a little bit more comfortable within the flow of the offense, certainly. I liked how they've improved on their starts. Remember, they were awful to start games for about the first handful But the last three games, they're plus 26. So they've been really good in those after that Boston debacle. uh, Recovered well. Um, And what I really haven't liked is the defense. Uh, To be fair, it's a work in progress. I knew I wasn't going to evaluate it after a couple of weeks. And maybe after the first month, you'd start to get a better idea. Um, But they're trying something very different, very new. Tyrese was talking to us in training camp about how this – the way in which they were trying to defend is unlike – Anyway, he has previously. So if your star player is saying that, imagine how the rest of the team, especially the younger guys, especially the second-year guys that uh, are getting more opportunity, how they feel about it. Defense is a huge red flag with that being countered, I think, with a huge green flag of, of what the offense has been able to do. Scott Agnes covers the Pacers for Fieldhouse Files. Scott, we were discussing this the other day, and as long as they're winning, it doesn't matter. They'll figure it out as the season goes on. But how long into the season do you think it'll take before we have a clear answer of, obviously, Tyrese Halliburton's number one, but who their secondary scoring option is consistently? Because I would argue right now there's a number of different angles they can go because of the depth that they have. Do we see separation at any point in the season? And if we do, how long will it take to properly evaluate that? Yeah, that's that's a, a fair question here. I'm not sure there will be in this season, at least, because it seems like they have several guys that will be, be able to assert themselves based on matchups, based on who has the flow. Uh, you know, if, if Bruce Brown knocks down a couple threes early, it might be him. If Buddy comes off the bench and, like the last couple of games, we've seen him knock down a three-pointer in like one second and like eight seconds right when he comes in, that's a sign of good things to come. It could be Miles Turner, and so much of that depends on how opposing teams defend him. There's certain teams uh, like Cleveland, like Washington, that we know how they're going to sag off. They're going to sag off the pick and pop, and it's going to be there. So if he's hitting, it's going to be his night. So I'm not really expecting Jimmy 
for a, a big, big-time number two to emerge this season. Man, when you look at the rest of the East here, Scott, what would you say realistically is the Pacers' ceiling and also their floor this season? Yeah, I've, I've changed and, and wiggled around here a lot with this. I thought going into the summer, before they've made any moves, I thought it, I was talking a lot about, Brian, how maybe this should be a, a season where they're the sixth seed at highest, but they're certainly a playoff team. I back off that a, a little bit after seeing the moves they made, the moves they did not make, how the roster still is uh, a little redundant in terms of guards, in terms of centers. There's lacking clarity still from that department. I think realistically this is a, a, the ceiling is a play-in, and the, the floor is probably just outside the playoffs. They probably are going to be flirting with that 9-11 to 11 spot for most of the season, I think. There will be growing pain, certainly. Um, they're still trying to figure out lineups. You talked earlier about you know what – initial impressions to start this season. Part of it is just the lineups and whom plays with whom, especially to close the games where they completely go away from the starting lineup and kind of resort back to what the starting lineup was last season when they're, when they're playing smaller, they're playing uh, a little bit more agile, and there's a lot more chemistry, I think, amongst that bunch. Pacers beat writer Scott Agnes taking some time with us. Scott, you mentioned that defense is still a struggle. We knew that going into the season, that it was going to be a work in progress. One area that mm-hmm. at times, especially in losses, has been especially frustrating has been their defensive action in the pick and roll, especially at the top and with the roller. Where is that best addressed with this team? And where do you feel like the biggest area for those struggles have been so far for the Sirs? Yeah, I would completely agree with that assessment. And, and a lot of that goes into what they are being asked to do and whether guys are doing it or even handling it correctly. So long, long story way to try to explain it is this season they're trying to switch everything less and more take on those pick and rolls as we've seen the NBA really emerge and, and become basically a pick and roll screening action type setup. And so they're really just trying to take those matchups two versus two rather than um, needing help from a weak side defender and that stuff. And quite honestly, that stuff's getting them beat a lot. Um, they're also not sending help and sending double a lot of times. We saw a couple of games ago, Gordon Hayward in the in the post, he was pleasantly surprised as he kept just getting Benedict Matherin one-on-one in the post, and he exploited it. Had 10 points in the second quarter, I think, after not scoring in the first quarter. So a lot of it is, I think, giving this, this new defensive style some time. It starts, I think, with these players elevating their own individual play. And that became a primary theme in training camp, Jimmy, that we saw is uh, I think towards the end of practice during camp, they would hold these one-on-one battles to reiterate and hammer home the ideal idea that you have to win your matchup. You have, it starts with you before it involves a second defender, before it involves five defenders. Uh, Moby Toppin was really good at that. He was the last winner, I believe, that they did that with. Um, which was, I thought, very interesting and something that he was very proud of. But it's, a lot of the problems start with uh, trying to learn and adapt with this new scheme. It's players elevating their own defensive style, and quite honestly, it's not a great individual defensive team. That's in large part why they brought in Bruce Brown in the offseason. Um, but this is something we're definitely going to be tracking over the next month or so as we can paint a fuller picture of what this new defense looks like. You know, Scott, you look at Halliburton, and he's a a really, really solid point guard. You look at the other point guards in the NBA, and it's rich. right? You look at mm-hmm. Curry and Luka and SGA and Dame and De'Aaron Fox, and the list goes on and on. Where do you think Halliburton 
checks in in the pecking order. Uh, I don't need you to tell me, like, number eight. Here's my top ten. <laughs> I don't know off the top of your head, but, I mean, yeah. just a, a realistic range of where he's at among what is still a very, very rich in talent position. Yeah, it really is. I would probably put him just outside kind of that all-NBA category. So all-star fringe, all-star once again type, but not quite as that elite top three type point guard. He's done wonders clearly with this franchise, both in how he handles himself off the court, but also just on the court, his infectious attitude, his positivity, and the way in which he involves everyone, um, especially early in games sometimes. You'll even see him, you might maybe only have a couple of buckets, but he'll have like four assists in the first five minutes. Um, and that's something he tries to be an extension of Carlisle on the court. He tries to be the quarterback on the court. And coming off of a game where Rick Carlisle clinched his 900th win as a head coach, one thing uh, that I give Carlisle a lot of credit about is how he has evolved as a coach. I was talking with Chauncey Billups about this, uh, Pacers analyst Eddie Gill, who all played for him. And they were like, yeah, back then he was in control of everything. He scripted every play. He called every play. Well, if you watch now, he empowers his players. He empowers his point guard, and especially Tyrese Halliburton, to read and, and see what the defense is doing. And then this offseason, we saw them really go all in on trying to be that quick transition team, much like they were last year, but even better. And Tyrese's abilities allow for that. So they're really leaning in on his strengths and hoping his defense, which is probably his greatest weakness, hopefully that improves. And by doing so, maybe that can be contagious and they can become – a better defensive team because they don't need to be at least this season a top 10 defense or uh you know even a top uh, 15 if they could just be average right there if they could just sit right about 15 to 20 that would be a sweet spot rather than say 26 or 28 i think over the last two years scott agnes is our guest he covers the pacers for fieldhouse files scott we're seven games in pacers sit at four and three and again maybe this is a question in the territory of difficult to answer at this point but is this the most comfortable and the most free that Miles Turner has ever played in a Pacers uniform? I think so. And there's a number of reasons for that. I think, Jimmy, more than anything, it's just experience. And from experience, it, you, it breeds kind of the confidence, assertiveness, um, mental strength. I, I think that's the biggest thing he would acknowledge individually over the last two seasons, Jimmy, is how he has evolved mentally and understood his role on the team, understood his role for the franchise. Um, uh, It's really interesting. I could probably do a whole hour about Miles Turner's evolution, but I think it's really interesting how he's kind of grounded, accepted who he is, um, wants to be all about winning and and impacting his team here. But notice, uh, to his credit, he's gone away, I think, from talking about individual awards publicly necessarily. Certainly they're – uh, what he's, um, you know, you like if that comes with the product. But, you know, first several years, so many times we'd hear defensive player of the year, all defensive team. Of course, those are goals. But now he has bigger goals, and that's to get back to the playoffs. It's to have a positive impact on this team. It's to be a leader, which he is doing more so than ever before. And I think more so it's by example, although defensively where they need it, he's communicating. And so, yeah, I, again, um, it's really positive, I think, what we're seeing for Miles as a whole, and it's only going to improve. He's in year nine, and I think this guy, uh, you know, playing 500 games with the Pacers, it's amazing to see that in this day and age when so many players uh, are moving around, and more than anything, so many other players want out of their situation if it becomes uncomfortable. He's kind of embraced that and grown as a human because of previous experiences. 
He's Scott Agnes, covers the Pacers, joining us here on The Fan. You know, it's crazy, right? It just gets me to think what you're saying with Miles and you bring in Halliburton to that mix. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when we evaluate players, we're looking at what they do individually, right? We're looking at points, rebounds, assists, whatever it may be. But you think about the impact that those veterans have on such a young core, you know? Like, how would you describe that compared to other teams where certainly they might have great players who are also great for the young guys as well. But comparatively speaking, how would you assess that with the Pacers specifically? Yeah, I think, I think it's a group that's always growing right now. Um, And I don't think there's a dominant leader. Like in years past, like you knew it was David West, like he would command a locker room if he just spoke up. Right. I don't think there's that commanding type guy here. And it can depend on the situation. Yes, Tyrese is the face of the franchise, so his what he says carries more weight. But Miles at times will speak up. Bruce Brown can speak up and lean on his experience. I know uh, before the start of training camp, they all went over to GM Chad Buchanan's home and had a kind of a preseason meeting. And at this meeting, one of the things they did was bring up those players with successful off-seasons, talking about Daniel Tice, who won a gold cup. A uh, gold medal, excuse me, with Germany. Uh, you brought up Bruce Brown, who just won an NBA title um, with the Denver Nuggets, to the front of the room. Who could those guys could offer perspective on on where they've been, what it took, and so much of it was coming together as a team and, and growing together. And so here's a, a couple things. Then we've been tracking, or at least I have here in the early part of the season. I'm not so caught up, say, in Benedict Matherin's points. I'm caught up on, is he making the right pass? And his assists have been impressive for many games. Just two the other night, last night. But there's been several games where he's had like four, five, six assists. That's very different. That's, he's not used to that part of his game. It's rather than um, previously, put your head down, get to the basket, get fouled. I think he averaged almost seven free throw attempts per game last season. He's having to play a very different style and adapt to what he's doing. Bruce Brown, same thing. Um, and, and the bigger one, too, is Buddy Heal, and this is probably something I'm going to write in the next week on Fieldhouse Files, is his defensive end. Like, that's always been a weak spot. It's something that the Pacers, I think, a little bit accepted. But look, if they're going to change team defense, it starts with the individuals, like I referenced earlier. And Buddy, Buddy is no exception, and I, th- I think he's done a good job of getting better on the defensive end. And, and by doing so, a lot of it's like rebounding. It's an effort. It's a want to. And even though he's not starting right now, he hadn't let that hold him back or change his attitude. He's embracing what Rick's been telling him. What is this week in terms of a back-to-back Utah coming up on Wednesday and then a real measurement type of game, second one of the season arguably after Boston against Milwaukee? What can we learn about the Pacers over these next two? Yeah, I think the, the, over the next two, with Utah, it's how do you measure up with a, a team that's also currently under a rebuild? And then Milwaukee, can you hang tough? Like, this is a team, I haven't done the math in, in the last year, but Milwaukee has dominated the series since, like, 2018. And they're winning by, like, an average of 20 points per game where it hadn't even been close. It's just a mesh of styles that does not go well I don't know why, for the Pacers and then obviously the star talent, not only with Giannis, but now you add Dane to the mix. Then you add Philly with Joel Embiid, a good measuring stick for Miles Turner and other centers um, there. I, I think it's important first 
you got this stretch of five home games in a row, it's a rarity. And one of two times it'll happen this season for the Pacers, so it's important for them to handle that business, 11 of 16 to start the season at home. Then they're going to be really tested. So you got this Milwaukee game coming up on Thursday, a notable measuring stick. And then I kind of like this, this two-game series in Philadelphia, a power in the East, kind of that uh, Tier 2 team to me in the Eastern Conference. I think we'll be able to learn a lot more about this team than we will against teams like Charlotte and San Antonio. Well, hey, Scott, always appreciate you uh, talking some Pacers with us, man. Great job as always, and uh, we'll catch you soon. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Yep, there he is, Scott Agnes. Covers the Pacers for Fieldhouse Files, also 1075thefan.com. You know, we'll talk to KB next hour. It just popped into my head. He was a little doom and gloom about his season-long Pacers over right there. I think they have to get to 45 wins, if I remember correctly. I believe so. And, uh, I mean, he still might be doom and gloom, but after dropping 152, you got to feel a little bit better about that, right? I would, say, I would say so, but... And this isn't fully fair to the Pacers because it's so early, but this has the early air marks of a roller coaster like season. Like, we're less than a week removed from them getting 155 dropped on them in the garden in Boston. Like, and then they mm. put up 152 in their own right. So I don't know that KB should be doom and gloom. And granted, in that game, even though I've talked to a handful of people that cover the Pacers and they tell me it probably wouldn't have mattered, I would have liked to have seen. Tyrese in that game, he was obviously out with an injury against the Celtics. Maybe if they are in that game early, it doesn't get away from them the way that it did. Who's to say? I mean, they they got their doors blown off. Maybe it wouldn't have mattered, but now you have Tyrese back out there in three consecutive games. You're hopeful that you're going to get some ground moving in the right direction now and not be a team that floats around 500, but maybe get some separation because Scott's right it is somewhat of a cliche in sports of, oh, yeah, you got to take care of your business at home. But when you have that many home games stacked early on in the season, you don't want to be behind the eight ball and have to make it up on the road. And, yes, Milwaukee's a tough test. It'll be off of a back-to-back for certain, but that's life in the NBA. Like it, It's life in a playoff series. Sometimes you're playing back-to-back games at home against Milwaukee. Don't overlook Utah on Wednesday, but Thursday's a big circle it. I want to see how they look and – I guess the good thing from an observation standpoint, yes, they'll have Tyrese back, but with how bad they looked against Boston, couldn't possibly be worse, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right? I would hope not. I would hope not. I, I just glanced at my notes. I meant to ask Scott about the stupid NBA Cup. I, I messed that up with uh, it's NBA Cup time tonight, right? With the stupid courts and the weird jerseys. And- wow, man, you've gone a full... like You weren't, you weren't like pom-poms yeah. on Friday, but yeah. you were not... General, I hate this. Right. Like you are then now. I There's saw been it. A, been a full about face. Yeah. Then I saw it on Friday. <laughs> Completely against this stupid thing. Look, this this isn't soccer. Okay. <laughs> How can you have an in season tournament just on Tuesdays and Fridays? That's so dumb. How, how? What? What is that, Jimmy? Seriously, what is? Okay, the goofy court is tonight, so this must be the NBA Cup. And then Wednesday, wait, the court seems kind of <laughs> normal. This isn't the NBA Cup. What are we doing? Look. I conceded a long time ago that it's a gimmick, that it is, it, it's, all the goal is to get a couple more eyeballs on it. That said, I went on Friday, my bar was very low for this, uh-huh. and it grew on me a bit. I tweeted yeah. it out. The, the, the court, it felt like I was experiencing an NBA 2K park court in real life. <laughs> like, it was, it, it, it got me going. That said, like, 
why is it called the in-season tournament? You had a year plus to market this thing, and it's still called the in-season tournament. We can't... (laughs) We can't have any other budget dollars, probably because we blew it all on the courts and the jerseys, to be able to have a better name. Well, yeah, I think they, I think they actually call it the NBA Cup. Well, that's but what they're your going point, after. They, they don't market it Correct. at all. Correct. That is the name of the trophy, but it's not called the Chase for the NBA Cup or anything like that. Like right. still from NASCAR, I don't care. But just the in-season tournament, like. <laughs> On Tuesdays and Fridays. Because you're That's what it should be called. It should be called the in-season tournament on Tuesdays you, and Fridays. You got this idea. <laughs> you got this idea from soccer, right? You got it from Absolutely, soccer. Absolutely, yes. And over there, it is the best of Europe. It is called, and I get it, there's rich history. It's been around for, for so many years. It's called the Champions League. Right. That is the name of the event. That's like cool. that's all you need. Put it on yeah. a poster and you're fine. Let alone the 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 opera intro music with it. Like it's glorious, and the in season tournament. Like we we took all the elements over there except a flashy name. Yeah, he's Adam Silver. He loves his soccer. He has to. I don't know if he's a Tottenham Hotspur fan or I don't know what he gets <laughs> down with. But remember the little patches like on the neck of the jerseys that indicate how many. Um, championships the franchise has yes. won. That's a soccer thing. It is. Yep. They took that years ago yep. from soccer, and I, now we I, get I the in-season that. tournament. I, I did like that. I don't mind jersey modifications. I think that's cool. Um, and I don't fully hate the in-season tournament, but the reason I've started to hate it a little more is an idea was put into my head, and the first place I saw it was Tyrese Halliburton, his media availability going in to their first game of the in-season tournament on Friday against the Cavs, and it was, and I I can't wait for your reaction to this, (laughs) the winner of the in-season tournament should automatically qualify for the playoffs. Now listen, now listen, hold on. Is that what Tyrese said? He did, and a couple other NBA players said Uh, it too. I don't like it. Look, I, I get it, and I was tinkering, and I still don't have it figured out fully, but I think it should be you are guaranteed 10th or better but it's a it's a rest of the way progression, right? So if you bottom out, you'll still get that tenth spot in the play in, mm-hmm. but you could still progress like you would any other team. All you're really guaranteed is the tenth spot in the play in, and then if your record matches where it was, you'll qualify for the spot that you would have earned anyway, even without that auto bid. All you're guaranteed though is tenth in the play in. That's it. I listen. I appreciate where you, Tyrese, and the other NBA players saying the same thing they're coming from. I think that would most undoubtedly get interest up. Jimmy, I think it's a lot of unnecessary thinking. That's what I think. That's Like, really, the chances that a non-playoff team, when it's all said and done this season, wins the NBA Cup or the in-season tournament, whatever we're calling this thing, because it's not marketed very well, right? Yeah. Like, what are the chances that it one of the 10 teams that's not even in the play-in tournament, is that even right? Yeah, so we get, yeah, 20 teams, including the play-in teams, right? Sure. So uh, we have uh, 10 teams that don't qualify for anything, which is nothing, right? right? What are the chances that one of those teams wins the in-season tournament? Not very good. So most of the time, whoever wins the cup it's going to qualify for the playoffs anyway. Look, and I, if we're taking it to your degree, then winning the cup didn't mean anything at all. Well, I tried to water it down because I feel like it's insanity to say, hey, home court in the playoffs guaranteed. 
like Ooh, that. Oh, that. So that's what they're saying. Well, well, is. They're, they're, Tyrese didn't directly say that, but other players yeah. were like saying, hey, how would you incentivize it more? And some were like, yeah, I think an auto playoff spot would be good. Maybe home court through the playoffs. And like, it's a gray area. Home court I, I, throughout that's why, the that's playoffs? That's why I watered it down. MLB that, thinks that's a stupid idea with home field on the All-Star game up for grabs. That's why I watered Goodness. it down. Okay. But like, it'd be insane to say, yeah, you know what? Fourth seed. Up for grabs in any <laughs> conference you are. It's no. yours. Yeah, you can no. rest everybody from December twelfth. No. No. That would be insane. So you've got to figure out a way. If you're giving up a playoff spot or a play-in spot, it has to be reasonable because otherwise, you otherwise you have to move it to later in the season. Yeah, because if you I'll, move it to later in the season, maybe you're an older team and you're like, well, ordinarily we might not be going as aggressive in this in-season tournament, but it's March right now. There's like three weeks left in the season. All we have to do is win this play or this in season tournament and we get the five seed. Sign right. me up. You'd yeah, have to move it. You can't have mm. it be in December because that's too much of the season. You're not even at the halfway point yet of the year. Well, that's the thing is there aren't that many games that are set aside for this in season cup, in season yeah, tournament, right. whatever. So like the regular season is not very interesting for the right like in terms of the importance you have load management all the time in the regular season yep so if you boost up the in-season tournament by putting some extra bells and whistles up for grabs okay you spruce up the in-season tournament but you're also taking away from the importance of the regular season which is already greatly watered down in terms of how teams view the importance of it right they had to put that in play where you don't qualify for awards unless you play 65 games right (laughs) so if you're adding more carrots dangling in front of the noses of teams but you're talking to incentivize them for the in-season tournament it's like okay well that could actually hurt the regular season as a result as well you got to consider that well so i think i agree with you but the games are balanced anyway outside of the championship as regular season games they all count towards your record regardless so you're still playing through the regular season and also no no but i'm saying if you get home court throughout the the playoffs or you get the four seed or whatever whatever you get in addition there could be there could be a negative consequence on the regular season if you moved this and started it after the all-star break and you had it finish, I don't know, 31st of March or middle of March, and it's one team that's getting an auto spot somewhere, Yeah, I, I think there's a balance that could be had there because, yes, you're going to have one team that's like, okay, their playoff spot is assured now. And maybe you're right. Maybe it is a team that won 63 games. It was already going anyway, at which point it's a moot argument to begin with. But if you have a team that's middle of the pack that has that spot – it has a ripple effect in my mind if it's late enough in the season for everybody below them because now you're incentivized to push even further down the stretch because you already know with 10 playoff spots or how many teams are, are in there, 10 play-in spots if you count that too, I think it would have an incentive on a team that maybe gets impacted negatively because an auto bid was handed off to a middle-of-the-pack team. Well, it's the first year, right? Like, I'm just throwing darts at a board, right, right. but there's at least been a conversation around people more involved with me. We're talking about the actual players of, hey, maybe this is how you make it more interesting. And sure. if there's one thing we know about the NBA, if this is not a one-off, if this is here to stay, 
they're going to build and improve on it. Like, well, here's they're, the they're thing. They're going to grow it. This is funny. Okay, I'll say it real fast. Is um, One thing that drives me crazy is when someone will comment, like we're doing a show today, right, Jimmy? If someone comments and says, hey, must be a slow news day, <laughs> and, then, and then they add their opinion. It's like, <laughs> is it a slow news day for you too? Is it slow? Or you could, like, that's the whole point is to get you to care enough to comment. So I hate when it's prefaced with, must be a slow news day. Here's my opinion on what you right. guys were yeah. talking about. But here, here's how I'll apply it to what we were just saying. Sure. The in-season tournament, I think it's stupid. But we just talked about it for 10 minutes. Correct. So I think of Adam Silver, if he's just driving through Indianapolis saying, yep, go ahead, keep telling us how much you dislike it and how you would modify it and your ideas. And you know what I'm hearing is NBA, NBA, yep. NBA, NBA. So and that's to all some that degree, to it is working. It's yes. a W. It's a yes. W for them as long as it's getting into the public lexicon as long as it's being talked about because otherwise you're just looking at, to your point, a Tuesday or Friday game in the middle of November or December that would have been just right. an ordinary regular season game. That's right. No doubt about that. All right, coming up next, if we go back to the Colts game on Sunday, Jimmy, there was something I absolutely loved and something I completely hated. I'll share my list with you and everybody else right around the corner. I'm Brian, though, in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. Square and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm bro- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Brian no in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. So, uh... One thing I loved and one thing I absolutely hated about the Colts game on Sunday, we had so many things to get to yesterday. I just wanted to throw this at you here, Jimmy. Um, We'll start with the positive. One thing I loved, so the Panthers, at the end of the third quarter, their offense was on the field, and they tried to draw the Colts offside. You know, all these teams do this. Their final two seconds, and they're like, and they try to get the team to jump, and unless... You don't, you're not the coldest beer in the fridge. You know they're not running a play, right? But the Panthers moved and they cost themselves five yards. I love when that happens. Huh? Are you with me on that? <laughs> yes, I, I am with you on that because it's such a, I don't know if juvenile is the right word, but like it very rarely ever works and you're just doing it to try to get those extra yards or sometimes, like you said, maybe get a free first down out of it. And the thought, especially when it happens at home, you're going to try to draw the other team off sides and then you self-inflict yourself. Yeah, it's the best. I'm right there with you. Oh, it's beautiful. I love when that happens. One thing that I hated, the Colts going tush-push from the two-yard line. What? (laughs) They don't have Jalen Hurts back there. They have Gardner Minshew. Why are they going tush-push from the two? Like they gained a yard. I didn't get that at all. I think that was just like a tactic to try and surprise. Uh, I forget who they were playing now at this point. Um, the Carolina, because yeah. it was the end of the quarter. It was, I think, it was the end of the first quarter. So you think, okay, they're not going to run a play. You caught them. You catch them off guard by running the tush push play. Maybe you get a touchdown. Worst case, you get closer to the goal line. I'd have to go back and look. I don't know if. Can you remember if that was the very last play of the quarter? 
I'm not sure it was. I think it was close. I, I can't remember offhand, but from the aspect of the tush push in the NFL, at what point do teams not named Philadelphia stop trying to do it? Because like I've only <laughs> yeah. seen one yeah. effectively do it every single time they're out there, and it's the inventors of it. Is that is that the right way to phrase it? I mean, I understand that QB sneaks have been around forever, but that specific rugby-like style is right. trademark Eagles and often imitated, never duplicated type feel is what I get for the tush push. Yeah, I it was the very last they... play of the first quarter. Was it really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, maybe you have something to go on there. Yeah, I think that I, I don't know that they invented it. Adopters but they absolutely yeah, perfected sure. it. Yes. They they do a tremendous job. And it really it's everybody. It's the O line. It's Jalen Hurts is one strong yes. man. <laughs> he is a strong dude. And you can just see the difference in his strength compared to most of the quarterbacks in the NFL. Where they try they try to get that push while they're getting pushed from behind by teammates. And there's nothing. <laughs> Micah Parsons went on a ride against the Eagles. Like the Eagles were backed up. Um, uh, uh, like they were just outside their own goal line. And they went tush-push. And Micah Parsons made the mistake of just kind of going airborne. He was just sitting <laughs> on top of the pile and got taken for like a three-yard joyride. <laughs> that's like, that's not going to work, man, when you go airborne. You're not going to stop them at all. It has forced the league to try anything and everything to try to stop it. And now we're getting to the point, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, I can't remember, when they played the Commanders, and you knew it was going to happen. At some point, because everybody's so focused on the sneak, they're going to run some other action out of it, and they wind up doing a a handoff, like a misdirection handoff in that set to DeAndre Swift. He scores easily. Like If that gets to the point where they're able to bait you in different scenarios, we've seen it once now. There's no doubt that you're going to see another wrinkle to that, I think, situationally, because everybody's so focused on trying to stop one of the strongest quarterbacks in the game. So, um, yeah, I was thinking also based on the uh, uh, just watching football this weekend, I developed uh, developed my list of uh, pet peeves over here. I love football. Surely Jimmy. you added to it, right? There's no way it was just developed. No, no, no. Yeah, that's, it just <laughs> you pulled out the the long notepad that's 25 years, oh, no, 30 no, no, years no. in the making, and we're no. adding to it. Right? This is an incredibly long. I'm sure there are other things that are just <laughs> general annoyances, but uh, just. It's not about football itself. It's just about certain plays and certain things or yeah. certain rules. Um, so number three on my list of annoyances, it's officials that throw a flag and then pick the flag up. I'll allow a little wiggle room where you got to make a decision in a split second. And maybe you just throw the flag and then you reassess. And Okay, if it's borderline, I get it. little grace. But if it's clearly a penalty and you pick it up, I'm like, why did you throw the flag in the first place? (laughs) Drives me crazy. Number two on my list. Punt returners that don't catch the ball and just let it roll and roll and roll. You know what I say, Jimmy? Every time. I sound like an angry old guy. Why are you back there then? That's my standard line. (laughs) That's what I say every single time. That's a very old man line. You're exactly right. What are you doing back there anyway? Right? That's what I say. Something along those lines where, look, man, I get it if it's a goofy rugby punt and it's 
spinning sideways or it's situational. You've got a big lead and there's some traffic in front of you and you got to like run and make this sliding catch. Oh, okay, fine. But if it's just a regular punt and you shy away from it <laughs> and let it roll for 20 yards, it drives me freaking crazy, Jimmy. You're two for two on the pet peeves. I don't have a problem with either of those. I'm with you. Number one, it's the dumbest rule in sports. It's a fumble that goes out of the end zone is automatically awarded <laughs> to the other team. If you want the ball, you have to recover it. That's, that's the way it is everywhere on the field except the end zone. I, I, need, I, I need an that. amendment from you, though, because that it rewards the defense, right? If you're an offensive team and you fumble it in your own end zone, it, the defense gets the ball. Almost always. Right. There are some right. exceptions. But, but where, that's the part yeah. I would assume that would frustrate you the most. I want to misrepresent it. And either way, I want your thoughts on this. When that happens at the offense's expense, what's the solution? Because to me, it can't be ball right back where the play was. There has to be some type of penalty for losing the ball out of bounds in the end zone. Whether I it's don't. at the 20, yeah. whether it's at the 15. But if they have the ball at the 5 and that happens, it can't be, ah, well, let's give them the ball at the 5 again. I'm different. I, I say it's just like anywhere else on the field. There are a lot of people that will completely disagree with this. But if you fumble the ball at the one, right, you're reaching for the end, for the pylon, let's say, or, you know, the goal line, you're reaching for it. You fumble at the one. It goes out of the end zone. Uh, you get the ball at the one. Call me crazy. That's the way it is <laughs> everywhere else. Like, if we never had that rule in place, Let's just say it was you get the ball where you, you fumbled it. That was always the rule. Like, you have to really make your mind think that. What would you honestly, what would your reaction be if someone came along and said, yeah, I got an idea. How about we just give the ball automatically to the other team? Okay, so hear, hear me out on <laughs> this, like, though. What? Who invited this guy? If you're at your own five as an offense and you lose the ball and it goes behind you out of the end zone, should that be a safety? If you are at the five, you lose the You're ball. You're at your own five. You fumble the ball. It goes in the back of your own end zone. That's a safety. Yeah, I don't think that should be a safety okay. either. All I right. think. Yeah, I, I don't like that rule either. But You're yeah, that's the though. counter argument yeah. to the. Uh, yeah, man. If you want the ball, then freaking recover it. Why, why do you get the charity? Why, what did you do? And the <laughs> other thing for the NFL, why would you? That's an exciting play. Would you rather have a guy playing it safe? saying, oh, I, I can't fumble out of the end zone, and instead of extending this ball and trying to make this highlight real play, I'm just going to play it safe and just go down at the one. Why would you want that as the NFL? Okay, I'm Mr. Offense, so I don't like you painting me in this position where I have to go to bat for the defense here. But I would argue it is equally as impressive of a play if you're a defender and you're going full speed got the right angle, trying to take out whatever, the running back that's about to score, and he reaches for the pylon, and you know you have one play left, and it is beat him to the pylon, punch that ball out into the end zone, and it's a touchback. I feel like the defense should be rewarded for that play. No? No. All right. Hard pass. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to be rewarded, then recover the fumble. Then you get the ball. <laughs> That's your reward. But in, until you do that, zero reward. It just blows my mind. Let's say it's the same play. You're nearing the end zone. You, you dive at the two. You get hit at the one. It blows my mind <laughs> that if the ball goes out inside the one, hey, it's still your ball. But if that ball touches the pylon, 
other team's ball. How does that make any sense? It makes no sense. (laughs) It's never made sense. It never will make sense. And it's just a matter of time until they come to their senses and change it. I like that rule has been on death row for so long and they just will not change it. It's going to take a playoff game swinging because of it and then they'll change it. I mean, is that higher up on is that the highest NFL priority for you rule rule wise? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's the highest in all of sports. <laughs> <laughs> like before like boxing and showing the scorecards as the fight is going along, I want the end zone rule changed before that. <laughs> for Here, here's for where, any other rule, I want it changed. Here's where it frustrates me. If you fumble it in the end zone, it's a live ball, and the defense, let's just say, is trying to scoop it for a touchdown. Uh-huh. The offensive player's thought is, nope, I'm going to yeet this ball out of here. I'm going to kick it into the back of the end zone. We're going to get the ball back at the five. Ha-ha, <laughs> defense. Take that. Like That's what we want to encourage now? We want to encourage defenses recovering the ball but if to the offense the knows ball. if they lose it and they know all I have to do is make sure it goes out of the end zone and now this is an extra offensive player effectively instead of an extra defender if the ball's loose okay I can't get it no. but that guy's not getting it I'm gonna kick it to the side and get the ball back at the five well that's that's how it is everywhere you're saying like batting the ball out of bounds is that, I don't understand what you mean. On well, this no, I'm one. saying like with how the rule is right now, oh. it is an advantage to the defense. And if you change it, it then becomes another tool for the offense. So what? <laughs> <laughs> In Tough. a league where we already reward offense, it feels a little unfair to put another pillar against defenses across the NFL. Well, hey, life isn't fair. <laughs> you know, sorry. This hey, one. Very uh, productive. That was good. That was I, bad. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a compelling argument as to why you've skated and been grandfathered into this brain dead rule, I'm all ears. But until then, no, we're changing this thing. It's stupid. I'll see you at the committee meetings and I, I don't mean to be anti-defense. <laughs> I'm just being pro-logic here is how I would look at it. Sure. I'm going to take you to Heartbreak Hotel <sighs> around the corner. This is a doozy. Um, bad beat story uh, defined on the way. I'm Brian, though, in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Query and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Man. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Brian No in for a Jake. Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. So Saturday was my birthday, Jimmy. And um, I tried to celebrate in grand betting fashion. Let me just say the gambling gods did not share the same plan, okay? And that's where things started. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where I begin this story by taking, to, uh, taking you to Heartbreak Hotel here, huh? Let, let's, uh, let's get it started with a little bit of Elvis nostalgia. It, <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's slightly Jimmy, better I, than Hotel California because I can actually leave at the end of this. I can pay my respects oh, to your heartbreak, man. and then I can... Get out of here. You know what I mean? Give me Hotel California <laughs> all day <laughs> over. Okay, so here's the deal, Jimmy. Um, no judgment by you or anybody listening, okay? We're <laughs> I'm well in the past trust that. tree over We're here. We're well past that. So here's the story. There's a sports book that has a, a uh, promotion 
you bet $1,500. If you lose, you get everything back in bonus bets. And I'm like, man, $1,500. I just don't bet that amount. It's got to be something I feel really strongly about. So it's been weeks and weeks and weeks. And I'm like, nope, nope. I'm like uh, Braveheart. Hold, hold. <laughs> and then, Miller? yeah, I spot this diamond in a rough. I see Jace McClellan. Who's Jace, Jace McClellan? He's the Alabama running back. Okay, so they're, they're hosting LSU. And LSU's defense is freaking terrible. Okay. And so I'm thinking, what they're going to do, they're going to try to limit the big passing plays from quarterback Jalen Milrow. Because that's their offense. They throw it deep and they run it. If they're going to limit the deep passing attempts, well, Alabama's just going to run the ball like crazy. I'm going to take Jace McClellan to get to 80 yards rushing. Sounds sound. Jimmy. A lot of logic there. I like it. Uh, right? Happy We're, ending, surely, for this in the well, segment called Heartbreak Hotel. Yeah. So, Bama, they rush for 288 yards against LSU. All right. Got to like your chances for McClellan to get to 80. Well, the problem was the quarterback, Jalen Milrow, he had 155 yards rushing (laughs) and four touchdowns on 20 carries, Jimmy. (laughs) And to just twist the knife, he would fake the ball to McClellan, the zone read, and yank it out and then take off running. And I'm like, oh, you did it again. My guy needs running, uh, rushing yards. So we missed. We get the bonus bets, Jimmy. Okay. Five separate bets, each $300 a piece. Again, I normally don't lay that type of money on a single bet. So what do I do? My good friend, uh, we'll call him Jay Cook. He had been saying, (laughs) lock of the century, Tyreek Hill gets in the end zone. I I, I still stand by it. I don't care. I still stand by it. Let the record state, you did not force me to do anything. No, I did not. You did not, you know, put a weapon anywhere near me and say, you will bet Tyreek to get into the paint against the Chiefs. I did this on my own. Let me say, you made a good argument, compelling, and I was sold. <laughs> so, we were told that Kansas City was, quote, going to get this work. Oh, all right. Did not, That's all I needed to hear. Didn't work out. Didn't work. So I go, okay, one bonus bet, Tyreek getting into the end zone. Let's go with the second bonus bet. Tyreek gets to the end zone, parlayed with Alvin Kamara's receiving yardage over. Would have hit. <laughs> Did another one. Another one. Like DJ Khaled. Another one with uh, Alvin Kamara's receptions over four and a half. Should have got there. Didn't get there. Turns out, didn't matter because Tyreek Hill didn't score a touchdown. We're down three of our five bonus bets, Jimmy. Time to rally. Okay, I get a crazy idea. I... Let's go parlay time. This is great when you're down. Just go parlays, right? Jimmy, I had two remaining parlay bets. Everything hits, okay? Geno throwing an interception. Geno Smith did it against the Ravens. Alvin Kamara, over 38 and a half receiving yards. Hit. Uh, give me Lamar Jackson, over 45 and a half rushing yards. Hit. Yes. Give me Rams, Packers, under 18 and a half in the first half. Hit with ease. Last leg of the parlay. Jonathan Taylor rushing for at least 70 yards. Okay. So I stand. Let's pause for a second. I stand to win with these two parlays and another one. The last leg is Jonathan Taylor. I stand to win. Just under $6,000. Big time. Yeah. 
I send you and Eddie screenshots. Should I hedge? Should I bet the under on JT so I'm guaranteed to win something? Eddie Garrison hits me with, I wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) I would. And, And you're thinking in that moment, you're like, man, I really love this bet. And am I just throwing money away by betting on the other side? So I said, I'm not going to do that before the game. If there's an opportunity during the game, I'll look to do that. If Jonathan Taylor gets off to a good start and I could hedge the other way and hopefully hit in that magical middle ground where you went on both sides. And so I did that a little bit, but not enough. And Jonathan Taylor goes nowhere near to make it even worse. So the last legs occurred last night. Garrett Wilson, his over-receiving yards. Justin Herbert, his over-rushing yards. Both of those things hitting would have pushed the overall win on these parlay bets to just under $8,000. Instead, I go 7 of 8 with all of these picks. This shows you how evil parlays can be. 7 of 8 and lost Everything based on those bets. Prior, everything that I had wagered, not every dime to my name, just to be clear there. Prior to that game on Sunday, the Panthers had given up 75-plus rushing yards to a back in every game where it's, that back for the opposing team had 15 or more attempts. Crazy. We played the audio yesterday of Melanie Collins saying Frank Reich's goal <laughs> was to hold Jonathan Taylor to under 100 yards rushing. And so he was happy about the first half, only giving up 41. Including 90-plus rushing yards in the last four. That 75 was Tyler Algier in week one for the Falcons. It's just... 1-800-9 with it, kids. You know what? In the last little cruel twist here, so I, I host this show on the weekends, and I do these live reads for this exact betting promotion for this <laughs> sports book. And every time I'm going to think... Of what could have been and what should have been, but isn't and wasn't. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So that's that's what I have to look forward to. Like I said, I get to check out, but I, I'll give you some condolences on the way out the door. <sighs> that's, uh, hey, welcome to hashtag gambling right there. <laughs> you know, every now and then it, it gets rough, gets rough, but we'll rally. We'll rally. We always do. It'll be okay. And I got a story out of it. I'll tell my grandkids one day and they'll be like, man, and you continued betting after that? (laughs) Uh, All right. Coming up next, Stephen Holder covers the Colts for ESPN.com. Does a tremendous job. He's on the way. I'm Brian No In for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. For Jake, he's Jimmy Cook. Here on The Fan, pleased to welcome in Stephen Holder. Covers the Colts for ESPN.com. Man, Stephen, some, uh, some talk about the Colts. And the playoffs. Are you turning into uh, Jim Mora over there like me? Go, playoffs? As far as your reaction to that? Yes. 100%. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look. Um, I love the enthusiasm. Uh, let's start with maybe, you know, trying to, to put together, um, you know, an, an actual NFL caliber offensive performance. And we'll go from there. 
Um, look, I mean, I think it's – I will say this. The, the Colts I'm, – I'm being mean. Let me not do that. The Colts have – they have actually put together they, – they've – let me put it this way. They've maximized what they are this year, you know, because to be completely honest, they're generally the same team they were last year at this point when you think about the fact that Anthony Richardson's out. And, you know, certainly they have a, a couple of pieces that are different, obviously. But but the roster top to bottom didn't change drastically from last year. And so with a backup quarterback and, and who they are right now, I mean, they're, they're competitive most weeks. So that's far more than I ever uh, expected of them this year. I mean, I, I thought with Richardson playing, I figured they might be in the – in the six or seven win range. And I think his performance early gave you some sense that maybe they could, they could surpass that. But now that he's gone, you still, you know, it's still possible they could surpass that. And, I, and I'll end by saying this. I mean, the schedule, we said it was a manageable schedule. It is working out to be that. Like sometimes you're wrong about that when you try to forecast, oh, that's an easy schedule. When you say that before the season, that often doesn't translate. It actually kind of has translated I just went through it earlier today. I think they have two teams left or two opponents left of their final eight who have an actual record above 500. So, look, I guess nothing's out of the question. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com covers the Colts. Taking some time with us here on Query and Company. Stephen, this is kind of a two-part question because it has to do with Josh Downs, and I don't know if there's been any clarity yet on his status after he left Sunday's game with a knee injury. So that's part one. Has there been any clarity yet? And if there's not been, does the fact that they worked out Sammy Watkins yesterday tie into that at all, or are they just trying to find more bodies and depth in that room? So no, there hasn't been any additional clarity other than to say, <clears throat> excuse me, other than to say that uh, the the issue on on Sunday was a continuation of what he was dealing with last week. So at least it's not a new injury. I guess that at least is, is somewhat comforting, but I guess it also leaves open the possibility that he uh, made that injury worse. So I guess we'll see. Tomorrow's a big day. Uh, to their, their larger point about depth and Sammy Watkins work, working out, I think they're related to a degree, but they're also not related because there is a, even beyond Josh Downs, there is, there is an issue there. Uh, and this has been an issue from the jump. I mean, so Isaiah McKenzie came in and played the rest of the game on Sunday. And I looked it up. I can't remember. He had played less than 10% of the offensive snaps this year. I mean, he, he basically had not played at all. And so he's their fourth receiver, essentially. And so your fourth receiver is a guy who wasn't even, has never been on the field this year. So that's a pretty – bad indicator of your depth you know because if he if he was good enough to put out there you would you would at times at least rotate some guys in you know and maybe give uh give other guys a break that hasn't been the case and so yeah I think their depth has been has been problematic at wide receiver all year and it wouldn't necessarily even be a, a move if they were to sign someone whether it be Sammy Watkins or someone else it wouldn't necessarily mean that player is going to play a ton, but it, it is, I think, a continued search for depth, which they need, frankly, at that position. They're really thin. Now, I'll, I'll end by saying this. They have gotten, I think, good production out of that position for what they have. 
You know, a lot of people were down on what they have, and and they still think they need. They don't. They don't have an elite wide receiver. I get that, and I don't disagree. But for what they have, I actually think they've gotten a good bit of production from the guys that they have, including Alec Pierce. The production maybe isn't there, but Alec Pierce is doing his job. He's doing what's asked of him, uh, despite the lack of, of big numbers. You know, Stephen, you mentioned wanting to see more consistency. It just got me thinking, what would you say the Colts are most consistent at, and where are they the least consistent? <laughs> This is such a funny thing, man. I had to do this midseason update to, earlier today um, that I'll publish later. And I was trying to, like, give the essence of the Colts this year. And it was, like, super hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know who they are or what they are sometimes. It was mm-hmm. kind of frustrating. But I would say, oh, man. One thing I think they do well is they have played – relatively well in the trenches this year. I think the offensive line has done a decent job. They definitely have, have shown improvement this year. I'll give them that. The defensive line has not been consistent in terms of pass rush, and they have actually been a little underwhelming against the run, which has been surprising. But I think when, when the defense has flashed this year, it's been those guys up front. And, and you saw it on, on Sunday against the Panthers. Granted, that's not a very good offensive line, but they did what they're supposed to do, which is to dominate up front. And, you know, they had Bryce Young on the run throughout that game and made it tough on him. You know, they hit a couple of runs, but ultimately they weren't able to really stick with the run uh, because the, the Panthers, that is, they, because they got behind. So they, they've actually been, a, I think, a, a formidable team in the trenches this year. Not great, but, but good enough. And, and I think they've been consistently pretty good in the trenches. So I like that. Uh, what they have not done well, uh, I, I really think it's just, it's been splash plays across the board. And that's why getting those two pick sixes uh, from Kenny Moore on, on Sunday was so huge because, you know, how often have you seen those kinds of plays this season? You just haven't seen them. And then offensively, there's been a lack of them, too. Now, they have had a, a fair number uh, in, in, in spurts. You know, they've had them in spurts on offense. But then there are games like the last couple of games, and just, you just don't see enough of them. So I, I just think, you know, they need, those, they need those game-breaking plays that make winning easier. Uh, their wins have been really hard to pull off, you know. And I think when you – when you have big plays, it just it, it takes some of the difficulty out of that and, and helps you get to the finish line. So, you know, I don't know if that's a great answer, but that's kind of how I see it. Colts beat reporter for ESPN.com, Stephen Holder, joins us. Stephen, I've asked you this question the last couple of weeks. I want to get your thoughts on it now. Snap count distribution, 45 to 13 in favor of Jonathan Taylor this past week. Does that continue to increase? Or do you feel like that's probably about right in terms of 75% roughly to about you know 25% in terms of where the snap counts are. Is that about the separation, or is he still ramping up even further now that we're outside of that month-long window of ramping him up that Shane Steigen talked about? Right. It's a good question. I, you know, I think it's still fluid, but I, I actually think that Zach Moss is going to continue to have a role. So we may be getting to a point where maybe this is what it looks like. And, you know, we'll see. I, I think that, that Steichen is a big believer 
and keeping guys fresh at that position. He's talked about that a lot, and and I think he believes that you know no matter uh, how well one or the other is playing, he still wants to kind of have somewhat of a rotation. Um, I, I think that we're kind of probably getting to the to the limits of of the distribution there. So we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong, but but that's how I envision it. Un- unless and until Shane Steichen uh, shows differently. Now he did kind of have a one man show early in the season uh, when Zach Moss was rolling, but that was really I think a product of of him not having great options. You know, behind Zach Moss. You know, I don't think he set out to have Zach Moss carry the ball, whatever it was, 30-plus times in Baltimore. That was not by design. Uh, that was just what the game required. So, yeah, I, I, but I, I do think ultimately, or ideally, I guess, he, he wants to at least have some kind of a, a distribution there at running back. So that's, that's kind of how I see it shaking out. Man, not used to seeing the Patriots at 2-7. and seven. Right, yeah. but uh, yeah. that's where they are right now. And I'm looking for a, a bigger surprise. I mean, maybe the Giants at two and seven. Do you see a bigger surprise? I didn't expect the Patriots to be world beaters, but if you said nine games in, they'd be two and seven. I'd be like, really? Do you see a bigger surprise than that with the Pats? Yeah, I mean, I thought they were a bad team, but I mean, there's bad, and then there's New England bad. You know, yeah. I, and I had a different definition of what that was. Um, you know, I think. I'm with you. I, I didn't. I didn't expect this. I didn't expect anything good. But this is a different level of. This is a different level than what I expected. I, you know, it, it really boils down though to, look, it, a lot of the same things we just talked about with the Colts. They they have those problems, but they're worse. <laughs> and Kay, like they don't have game breakers on that team. Who yeah. are they? Name yeah. one. You can't. You know, and, and so think about it. You already have some questions at quarterback. That's fine. I mean, so do the Colts with Gardner Minshew, let's be honest. But at least you have, you know, a Jonathan Taylor and you have, you know, a, a, a guy like Josh Downs who has been a revelation. And, and Michael Pittman is still a guy who, after the catch, no one wants to deal with him. And, and certainly he will go up and, and fight for any ball. I mean, they still have guys capable of making, making legitimate NFL caliber plays, you know. And the Patriots – have a very short list of those types of players. I'm just telling you. And and then defensively, I think that's the thing. Even when they, they maybe fell short on offense, and, and Tom Brady didn't always have this great supporting cast on offense. There were many years where, where Tom Brady did have to rely very heavily on his defense. You know, that's not to say <laughs> the defense was carrying Tom Brady. I'm just saying you got a pretty big assist from the defense at times. And – the defense, I don't think, is up to snuff this year to, to be able to do that. So, I don't know. I mean, for them, though, they still have this approach of being sort of a game plan team. And by that, I mean, you know, they try to come up with, with a plan to beat every individual opponent as opposed to just running what they run and, and applying it uh, specifically to the opponent. So, that it, when they're good at that or when they do a good job of that, it does enable them you know, like, for example, in beating Buffalo. It enables them to maybe score an upset once in a while, but they don't have the players to really pull it off right now. And, and that is, I think, a, a critique of Bill Belichick, the, the general manager, frankly. ESPN Stephen Holder is our guest. Stephen, $9.6 million 
viewed Chiefs Dolphins most watched international game on record. Brian and I joked that well, from a scoring standpoint, maybe Colts Pats could be higher scoring than the thirty five Chiefs Dolphins put up. But that number, how how far down do you think that number goes with Colts Pats being the international game this weekend? Uh, are you questioning America's passion for Gardner <laughs> Minshew versus Mac Jones? How dare you suggest such a thing? How dare you? How dare you, sir? I don't understand the question. Uh, look, I, I think they'll get, you know, they'll get the, the New England market. They'll certainly tune in because, you know, they love them some Patriots, at least for now. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how many losing seasons they're willing to put up with. But anyhow, you know, th- that'll give them a boost, I guess. But no, it's, it's not a, it is, this is not a premier matchup. There's no doubt about it. Look, you get the, you, you get the one, you know, window all to yourself. So that helps a little bit and you're going to get viewers because it's NFL football at nine 30 on a, a Sunday morning. And let's be honest, what the hell else is anybody else doing on at nine 30 <laughs> on, on Sunday morning? Right. I mean, you know, if, if you want to go to church, you know, catch the late service, right. You can still watch the game. <laughs> <laughs> so depending on <laughs> if you're, if your pastor does the multiple service thing. So anyway, I don't know. It's, I don't know what it's going to be. It will not challenge Dolphins and Chiefs. That we know. Uh, it, it, I don't know. In, in fact, it's kind of interesting that they they put this game together. I mean, I, it feels like the international matchups this year have been, I don't want to say marquee games, but, but there have been some more appealing games. You know, maybe it's because it's not all Jaguars games like the old Jaguars. And, and they're finally and so good, maybe, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But um, but this was this did not fall in line with that <laughs> with that uh, that effort in terms of getting you know a- appealing matchups over in Europe this year. <laughs> That's a tough act to follow, right? Chiefs it Dolphins, is. <laughs> like it in is. terms of buildup. Yeah, it's uh, this kind of like the B stage as the closing act. What we have going <laughs> on right. with Colts and yeah, Patriots. I mean, they got the undercard going as the main event, I guess. You know, that doesn't make <laughs> yeah. a lot of sense. No, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense at all. Well, hey, Stephen, always good to hear your voice, man. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to catch you soon. All right. Talk to you soon, guys. All right, man. There he is, Stephen Holder. Covers the Colts for ESPN.com. Love that guy, man. He does a great job. And I thought that was a great point, Jimmy, is the lack of game-breaking plays uh, with the Colts in general. Like they, They've had some, don't get me wrong, but to his point, how often have you seen that from a takeaway standpoint defensively. Kenny Moore with the two pick sixes, that swung the game. I don't know what happens if the Colts don't get that. I mean, they had three and a half yards per play last week against a Panthers defense that was was not, I mean, they're, they're not good to begin with, but they weren't at full strength. And when you look at New England, like, again, they're not, intimidating they're not terrifying but you need to find ways to put points up on offense the only the only terrifying aspect of that team is the man that's been a terrifying icon of the sport for the last 20 30 years and that's bill belichick like that that's it you take him out of the equation it's just a two and seven team it's crazy too when you think of you would like to see the colts have more explosive plays you know like that's a great point of the splash plays making wins easier to come by. <laughs> it really makes it easier. And the Patriots, they're obviously lacking in that department compared to the Colts. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. 
You're not comparing them to these teams that are much more explosive. You're comparing them to the Colts. And it's like, man, it's bare bones with the Patriots. They did have the long run from Ramondre Stevenson against Washington last week. That was one of the legs of my many parlays that uh, (laughs) Jonathan Taylor ended up screwing up. But uh, he's right. He's right. Like, who are the game changers? Who, Who are the guys? Like... Christian Gonzalez was a guy that Tyree Kill gave big praise to, you know, in the, at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And Christian Gonzalez is on IR. He's he's hurt. He's, he's not playing right now. He's one of their main guys that can force some things to happen in the Patriots' favor. They just don't have a whole lot of those guys on the roster at all. I mean, look, Ramondre Stevens is a talented running back, like, but that that they don't have enough pieces around that for it to be potent other than okay there's a nice 80 yard day for him whoopee we've still only won two games like they're just not enough with this Patriots team and sure they've dealt with some injuries as well where you can point to one particular position and say not only does that make them interesting that makes them a threat each and every week which is just a again it's the post Brady era but this is one of those to Steven's point New England I'm sure can tolerate it the rest of the way, but this is a critical offseason for them. Like, unless you're going to look at things, and I'm not saying it's all Belichick's fault, but like, at some point, something needs to be reshuffled. Whether right. that is 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 modifying the amount of power that he has over roster construction, or whether it is just, I'm not saying fire the one of the greatest head coaches of all time. Right, right. I want to make that clear. Right. But something needs to be modified if they go through another offseason where they'll likely have a high draft pick. And if they don't look like, okay, foundation is set now, we're good to go, some point, something has to change. And it's not happening this year. Probably won't happen next, but a very critical offseason for the Patriots when they are a team that, to Steven's point, you have to look really hard week to week for them to identify key playmakers, key difference makers on a Bill Belichick coach team. And that's a wild sentence to say. Yeah, he should not be the GM. And... I get it partially where the Bill Parcells famous quote, where if they want you to cook the meal, at least they should let you shop for the groceries. <laughs> right? If they want you to win games, they quote. should let you great quote. acquire the personnel or draft the personnel that you would like to have on the roster. Love that quote. So I would think most head coaches, Belichick included, if they have that power, they wouldn't want to give that up. Yeah, but if it has gone so poorly for so long, <laughs> it's like you know what I mean. Like, why not try it's something like, different? It's at this like point? trying to take keys away from. Like, we had to do this with my late father. It's trying to take keys away from an older person that doesn't yeah. want to have the keys taken away. It's like, yeah. man, you're driving in two lanes right now. Like, we we maybe we need to. Re- you can still go places. You can still coach the team, but like, maybe it's time. It, it's a it's a very delicate situation, especially when it's a coach with that profile, one of the greatest to ever be involved in the sport. That will be a tough conversation for Robert Kraft and company if it ever comes to that. Man, no doubt. Um, I'm going to take it in a very different direction. Would you bet on Belichick in a boxing match? <laughs> I, I would. Now, the reason I bring this up, there's an online sports book. There's a story, you know, they do this for publicity, of course, so I, I won't mention the sports book, but uh, I'm not giving them what they want. But they provided some content over here, so shout out to this mystery sports book. 
They have posted odds because you've got the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry, and uh, that's coming up here in a little bit. Um, But they've posted celebrity boxing odds between Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh. Okay, so Ryan Day is a healthy favorite. He's at minus 220. Jim Harbaugh, the underdog, at plus 155. Hmm. So it got me thinking less about college football, more about the NFL. Who would be the head coach that you would say is the odds-on favorite to win a boxing match Robert against Sala. any other head? Robert Sala. Or no, 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 Dan no, no, Campbell. Dan Campbell. It's Dan Campbell. Be Dan. Dan Campbell. Gonna, Robert yeah. Sala, close second. Dan Campbell's the right answer, but I would, I would put Sala close second. You know, Sala in MMA. I think Sala could bust out some yep. crazy, you know, rear naked choke, some some tap out inducing type stuff. Sala looks like he could get after it. I know uh, Sean McDermott, the Bills head coach, yeah. used to be a wrestler, so he might be more MMA. But it's got to be Dan Campbell, the heavyweight. Yeah, maybe be. Antonio Pierce. Ooh, ooh, that's a good one, Eddie. I like that. That's a really good one. Hey, you think Ryan Day's odds are so favored in that hypothetical matchup because Lou Holtz was going to say something about his boxing form to kind of get him motivated? Like, is that, is that a thought there? Investigated already. That's right. Who would be the coach that would be the odds-on favorite to be the worst boxer? Now, you got some good candidates here. You'd have Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel. He'd be in the mix. Uh, listen, Belichick is not a spring chicken at this point. Frank Reich. I think Frank wouldn't be one of the worst guys, right? You're just saying he's, he's too nice of a guy type thing. Mm -hmm. I think there's a switch to be flipped. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, put him in a cage, turn the lights on, you know, I think Pete Carroll would be a sneaky, like, yeah, he's probably not going to last long, but maybe quick, like first, (laughs) second round knockout. Maybe there, I could see it. I mean, he's jacked, like, like still for his age. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like that's a choice. You look at the age, you're like, hey, okay, maybe not. And then he's, he's still got a little bit of movement. He's got a on lot him. of energy. Yeah. But by, by the way, Mike Vrabel on the good side, he'd be one of the favorites. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I, I mentioned his name when we were all throwing out names there. Any collection of Campbell, Salah, Vrabel. Ooh. Yeah, for sure. Arthur D'Amico, Smith. D'Amico Ryans. D'Amico Ryan's has got to be in the mix. Yeah. D'Amico yes. might he might be the guy. If there's someone to take down Dan Campbell in a boxing match, it might be D'Amico. Yeah. I I could see it. Being not the not case. gonna hear an argument from me. Yeah, I'd love to see Tomlin in the in the ring, huh? Can we get Mike Tomlin in there? <laughs> I feel like that this unnamed sports book is perfectly curated to you. Like, I just, I feel like it is, it is unlocked this new, like, maybe you didn't know it was inside you, but you're like, man, I've always wanted to see now that we talk about it. Active coaches get in the ring. Man, we got some heavyweights that I'm looking at it. Mike McCarthy with the Cowboys. You know, Ron Rivera isn't young, but that's a tough dude. Yeah. He beat cancer. Yeah. He played in the NFL, you know? He can make some things happen in a boxing ring. I wonder who you think would be pretty good and would be just awful. Like no form, no timing, no just glass <laughs> chin. We got to get this. If you they put that on pay per view, Kevin Stefanski. Kevin Stefanski as <laughs> one of the worst guys. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm strangely curious about this whole thing. Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff, right there. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh! Sne- sl- very, very sneaky. Todd Bowles. Todd okay. Bowles. Quiet assassin. Yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Former NFL player also. For sure. Put him in the ring. I, he might be able to make some things happen. Yeah. Brian Dable has a nice undercard like feel to him, right? Like he's not the main event, but you can put him in undercard for sure. He's more like Butterbean to me. Do you remember Butterbean, the boxer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was awesome. Yeah. I love that guy. All right, coming up next, Kevin Bowen. I want to go down the Pacers road with him. We were talking about Halliburton. If you compare him to other point guards in the NBA, how much does style, the way it looks, how much does that have to do with how he's perceived among other point guards in the NBA? We'll compare notes with KB right around the corner. I'm Brian Noe in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Query and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian Noe in for Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Our guy, Kevin Bowen, Mr. KB. Uh, Let's talk a little Pacers. Feeling a little bit better? A little, like, marginally better about the season-long win total bet with the Pacers dropping... Over 150 points last night. That was an offensive explosion, KB. Yes, it was. Um, I remain, and I guess last time we talked was, what, Friday? They're 2-1 and one since then. I think I said to you guys, yeah, I, I might feel bad today, but you know, ask me again in a week. I, I still am pretty bullish on their depth. I mean, like, when Aaron Eastman and Buddy Heels get in the game, I'm like, hey, those guys are starting quality players for, you know, 90% of the NBA, so. I think over the course of 82 games, that's going to win out. It's going to create a playoff team. And obviously last night you saw that depth on uh, on full display. Kev, what did you make of, to this point in the season, not just with that depth, but it feels when they are clicking offensively as seamless as they could have hoped for with Tyrese Halliburton obviously running things offensively, but being able to rely on multiple different guys on a nightly basis to follow him in terms of the the Robin to his Batman. What what have you made of that aspect of the depth from an offensive standpoint? Yeah, I mean, Halliburton is just, he's really such a joy to watch. I mean, when you look at the amount of points and assists he contributes on a night-in, night-out basis, there are moments I'm like, wait a minute, we we should not take him for granted. Like, guys just don't do that. Um, and, And if they do it, there certainly aren't many of them. In the NBA, that put up that amount of points. So I think that is something that, you know, I just think for starters to pencil a guy in for whatever, 20 something and 10 or 11 assists night in the night out. Again, it's just so rare. Um, and besides that, I think, you know, you, you're going to see uh, throughout the year, just whoever steps into that second, third role. I don't think it's going to be a very consistent guy. I mean, I kind of forget the box score, but I'm pretty sure it was maybe topping and healed or next in terms of scoring last night. I mean, you know, some nights it. It'd be Mather, and it's certainly been Turner. Um, you know, Neesmith had a couple big games early in the year. I do think Nemhard is a guy that can, you know, provide whatever, 12, 15 for you off the bench as well. So uh, Tyrese is a ca- catalyst to it all. I mean, I'd rank him up there with just about anybody in the NBA in terms of most valuable players for the respective teams. And um, I think you've already seen that here through the first seven games. You know, KB, I was thinking about this where uh, I'm with you. He's among the league-leading point guards. And this is not a knock, but you think about some point guards just stylistically, how it looks. There are other point guards that have a prettier game. Just looking about, just talking about how it looks. 
not looking at the stat sheet or anything, but uh, Damian Lillard or Kyrie Irving is basketball poetry. Do you think that Halliburton sometimes gets a bit shortchanged because the jump shot looks mechanical and it doesn't look smooth like Steph Curry? Do you think the way it looks sometimes causes his props to be shortchanged a bit? Oh, I think without question. And I laugh because I'm probably one of them that, that did that. Like, when the trade is made, I'm like, oh, man, what a great quarterback. Like, But I, I label them more as kind of like the game manager. Like, he'll get others involved, but, you know, he's never going to be a 20-point night a guy in the NBA. Like, but that's fine. If he can be, whatever, 14 and 10, I mean, that's a really quality point guard play in the NBA. And it's not only the shot, but, I mean, he'd be the first one to tell you he's not the quickest. He certainly is not the most athletic. Um, it's not like it's Russell Westbrook playing point guard or, you know, John Morant speed or, I don't know, Darren Fox. I'm trying to think of some other point guards in the league, but he just is able to have an unbelievable basketball IQ and that. He's obviously, uh, you know, pretty athletic. His height, I think he uses Royal. I think he changes speed really well. And ultimately, I just think he's a step ahead of everybody on the floor and as you know awkward looking as that jump shot is it it goes in at an extremely high rate and i just think he's a confident confident guy he took some jumpers last night that i was like wow um (laughs) that is neon green light and again you know several of them go in and uh you know his ability to just not only be a distributor at an elite level but i think he is an elite scorer Uh, again it goes back to the combination i was talking about that is rare and that's why his value to Indiana, to me, you know, ranks up there with, you know, a lot of guys in the league, whether it was, you know, Lillard on Portland or, you know, some of these guys you kind of individually, you know, would call the league guys on the respective teams. Uh, to me, Halliburton is right up there with anybody in the league. The fan zone, Kevin Bowen, nice enough to join us. KB, first measuring stick game, didn't get a lot to take away from the Pacers, beat down lots at the hands of the Celtics last week. Milwaukee comes into town. Pacers will be off of a back-to-back against Utah. They'll be at full strength this time, hopefully, assuming all things go according to plan against the Jazz. What do you want to see from them against Damian Lillard and Giannis for the first time this year? Well, I, I think I'll point to last night and just what Obi Toppin was able to do against Victor Webb and Yama. I'd assume Toppin gets the call against Giannis. You know, that's always been a big question. With the Pacers and the Bucs, okay, who is going to try and attempt to guard you know, one of the freakish players we've really ever seen. And, and obviously Milwaukee has been great over the last, you know, handful of seasons, but they have just dominated this matchup. And, and not just like strictly wins and losses, but it just seems like every single time these two teams get together, it's a double-digit point loss for the Pacers. So I just think in general, the fact that Milwaukee is going to have the back-to-back, technically they're going to have a little less time travel-wise is, I think I, I even think they tip off like an hour later than the Pacers, obviously. Indiana's at home. Milwaukee's got to get on a plane to come to Indianapolis. So um, I think it's a good little test early in the season, uh, especially after how the Bucks game went or uh, how the Celtics game went. Granted, you didn't have Halliburton, like you said, and you know, you've already beaten Cleveland twice. So uh, I'm really looking forward to Thursday night and just seeing how the Pacers handle that, that challenge. Uh, Kevin Bowen with us here on The Fan. KB, I'm trying to think about how to word this properly. If you look at the Colts, and some people are throwing out the P word, playoffs, what would be the Pacers equivalent in season wins that would equal your level of surprise of the Colts making the playoffs? Does that make sense to you? 
Ooh, that was worded. Yeah, yeah. I think I got it. I hope everybody got that. Yeah, okay. I got you on that. Um, okay, so we're, we're talking the Colts, you know, whatever, 10 wins, whatever it mm-hmm. takes to get to be a wild card team. Um, I had seven for the Colts at the start of the year, so you bumped that up. Uh, oh, shit. Sorry, I'm feel like I'm out from the hangover with all these numbers in my head right now. Um, <laughs> 60? Oof, yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, if I thought 45 for the Pacers originally, and I thought seven for the Colts, I don't know. Someone out there is a lot brighter than me could probably do the math of 17 games versus 82 games off the top of my head. But, boy, 60 is a big number uh, when you say that out loud. Granted, I would probably say, you know, the Colts making the playoffs would have been, and, you know, still is to a degree, would have been, you know, quite the uh, quite the feat at the start of the year. So, yeah. 60 sounds right. I could be 1,000% off, but I'm going to stick with 60. KB, how concerned should we be about the Colts offensively averaging, what, right around three, three and a half yards per play against the Panthers, who are by no means, you know, the Eagles or the 49ers or the Browns? Like, that should have been a game where the Colts were able to kind of impose their will offensively, and I get it. When you have two pick sixes from Kenny Moore, you're going to take the win. Game script impacts that, but where should the viewpoint be offensively, especially with Sammy Watkins getting worked out? Maybe they're trying to get more depth at wide receiver in what is turning out to be a rather critical game in Frankfurt for whatever they want the back half of this season to be. Yeah, I think that last part is probably what points to me because, you know, you brought up Carolina earlier. What were they ranked, you know, 27th, 28th, something like that against the run. And if you look at New England, I mean, yeah, they're the worst team in the in the AFC, but uh, they're second against the run. And, you know, Belichick's M.O. throughout his career has obviously been, you know, what do you do well? And we will try our darndest to make sure that you don't do that and you've got to play left-handed. So I think that aspect to it will be something to keep an eye on for Sunday. If, like, if they're able to do that, then it just gets really ugly. And then it's, you know, okay, who can, you know, outslugfest the other? And, you know, when you're in games like that, in all seriousness, that's where a weapon of Matt Gay is huge. And – um, that I think would be the one concern you have for Sunday if you're a Colts fan of like, there's a lot of New England elements that you look at and they're like, man, that's kind of what Carolina was. But if there's a big difference, it's that they do stop the run really, really well this season. And Carolina didn't stop the run very, very well this season. And yet still did that to you on Sunday. So I just think in general, you know, teams are, you know, the Colts have kind of shown their hand through the first half of the year of, you know, passing offense, especially if you don't have a Josh Downs and, you know, it is Gardner Minshew, that you're going to have to do some things out of the ordinary to create big plays there. I mean, last week they had one play over 20 yards. That was a seven-yard scramble by Gardner Minshew and a uh, 15-yard personal foul penalty tacked onto it. I mean, that, that was their one gain over 20. You know, that's you just can't live with that and expect to compete week in and week out. You know, KB, I feel like we typically interview you going into the weekend. So it's a treat that it's a Tuesday. And it's like, I don't expect anything crazy to happen tonight with the morning show tomorrow. So what is the earliest time you've headed to bed before the morning show? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I would say maybe non-football season, a Sunday where as soon as I finally have talked Rosie Bowen into no more books, no more stories, time to turn over, time to go to bed. That can be 8.15. There might have been a Sunday or two where 
maybe the Friday or Saturday night extended a little bit longer than I was thinking, and I thought I still had a fastball, um, which I certainly don't anymore. I would say maybe a Sunday 8.30 non-football season. But it is quite humbling if you get in the summer and the sun's still up and you're getting under the covers, and it's kind of like, oh, man, I feel like a piece of (laughs) you-know-what. Yeah, I mean, look, you might as well have dinner at 4 while you're at it and just fully steer into the skid at that point, right? I mean, honestly. Oh, I am. I mean, they, I mean, seven to ten radio show. I am team lunch at ten forty, and <laughs> dinner. I mean, I'm going to pick the kids up from daycare here coming up, and there will be tacos eaten at the Bowen household by five oh five p.m. Well, I like that. I like I like five o'clock sharp. But I'm saying if you're when you see the sun, it, it starts to get to the point of you know you're going to. The nursing home is knocking on the door. Is all I'm saying, KB. That, that, that's a real. That, that, no, no, that's a real internal crisis everybody has in the summer. If you want to catch up on some sleep, but it's like, wait, the sun's still out, and it, it's only eight fifteen. What are we doing? It's a real yeah. internal struggle. I've had it before. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not specifically targeting you. I've, I've had it myself. Fair, fair. Okay, fair. I, I was wondering where you were going. Backtrack nicely. Thank you. Well, hey, KB, always good to catch up with you, man. Hope you have a good evening and uh, get hey, plenty of sleep for the morning d- show d- tomorrow. D- right? Does IU cover tonight, and are you staying up for the whole thing? Well, come on, not the 6.30 tip here. Jimmy, let's not act like anything too, too crazy here. Um, 11 and a half seems like a very weird line to me. I'm like, is Florida Gulf Coast good? Mm. Their best player is uh, Isaiah Thompson. I saw a Purdue product, Zionsville product so I, I you know part of me is like it's assembly hall assembly hall should be worth like 10 points especially to a team like florida golf coast that will be you know you'd think peeing down their leg looking at seventeen thousand <laughs> and there but having said that uh, i don't know michigan state has me nervous from from last night that uh, that, that might just be a stay away game maybe they'll have a nice promo where they'll have a smaller player trying uh-huh. to win a tip and then forget about the rest of the game maybe i you'll get get, get there going who knows? Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, KB, we'll enjoy it, man. We'll catch you soon. All right, thanks, guys. Have a great rest of the week. You too, man. There he is, Kevin Bowen. Catch him in the mornings here with Andy on the fan. You know, it's funny, Florida Gulf Coast, I had a flashback to one of my buddies called them Florida Golf Cult when hmm. they were in the NCAA tournament. Dunk and they City. Were yeah. Dunking on everybody. Dunk City. It was great. And it was just funny. It was like, what is this just a cult? Where did these guys come Wait, from? To clarify, are you saying he not that he misspoke, <laughs> he purposely said C U L T, not C O L T. That's right. Okay. Not like he thought it was Florida Gulf cult or Colts. No. He was saying cult cult. Like, like the, 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 the bad connotation kind. Sort of, yes. Yeah, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> it's like they had this community, <laughs> and we're just finding out about what what are these guys doing over here. <laughs> they were unbelievable in the tournament. It was insane. And wasn't it, uh, th- their coach ended up at USC, right? It was, yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, what's that guy's name? Ensfield or something? Andy Ensfield, Andy Ensfield. Andy Ensfield. Yep. Yeah. Still there. Yeah, and... Uh, we're still waiting for some uh, big success over there, like Florida Gulf Colt. You know, <laughs> USC has not done anything the Colt has done just yet, right? Is that fair to say? I mean, they're always a tough out in the tournament. I feel like I don't know. I mean, really, have they had that moment that Gulf they, they, Colt look, had? They, they might not have had, and I know this only matters to the players; doesn't matter to the fan base. They might not have had the Florida Gulf Colt 
<laughs> See, now now you're going to throw me all of that. We're not going to have the Florida Gulf Coast-like mentality, but I mean, they made an Elite Eight in 21. They produced Evan Mobley. Like, they, yeah. they're, they're a fine program. Elite Eight. That's deep run. It's funny, too, because what Gulf Colt made it to the Sweet 16. Did they make it to the Elite Eight that year? I think it was just Sweet 16. It might have just been Sweet 16. I remember that way more than USC to the Elite Eight. You always do with the Cinderella's, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, coming up next, Jimmy Cook's plays. And I will give you, it just dawned on me while talking to Kevin Bowen, there is something that will most likely happen with the Colts on Sunday that I it, that's, it took me a while, but finally uh, entered in my brain. I'll share that with you right around the corner. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Quarry and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Man, it just dawned on me, Jimmy. You know, I detailed how I had a, a few vested interests on various parlays this weekend. Everything hit. I was like J-Rock. You know what I'm saying? You know J-Rock at all there, Jimmy? <laughs> no. You J-Rock fan? No. You'll remember this. this. This is me before the Colts game. Oh, yeah. All right. There we go. It's just wins all over. It's just wins. Wins, wins, wins. All kinds of wins. Wins. Lamar Jackson, Geno Smith. Wins, 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 wins. Under in the Rams Packers first half. Wins, wins, wins. I need Jonathan Taylor to get to 70 yards rushing. Didn't happen. Toppled everything. You know what happens routinely? Almost like clockwork. If you have a situation like this, gambling will troll you. All the time. I needed JT to get to 70 yards rushing last week. I might not have a dime on him this week. And you know what's going to (laughs) happen? He's going to get to 70 yards rushing. And it's a different opponent. And there's a lot that goes into it. But that happens a lot. I'm sure you've had experiences like that too, Jimmy. Where you need this game to work out a certain way. It doesn't. And then it does the next week just to sort of twist the knife. What if he hit a buck 40? Would that irritate you more? Oh, gosh, way more, Eddie. Are you kidding me? Oh, if he just breaks one, you know, I'm going to be like, oh, my gosh, where where was this against the Panthers? And it's not JT's fault. We've been over this. It's the offensive line didn't block in the second half. (laughs) So it's not like JT... You know, left a bunch of running yards on the field against the Panthers. I'm just saying that's sometimes how you know it goes that's what's going to happen. That's how it always yeah. works. Yeah, right. You just get over it, and then the bet yeah. that you needed to hit hits a week yep. later. Yep. Oh yeah, in like just complete ease. He, he might go for 70 in the first half, and you're like, really? <laughs> 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 All right, uh, let's make some money here. Jimmy Cook's got some picks for us. Let's do it. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. In honor of our in-season tournament talk, we'll start with (laughs) what it was built off of, and that's some Champions League action. That'll get started at (laughs) 3 o'clock today. Erling Holland for Man City scores first. That at plus 150 today for Manchester City. We'll also go with PSG's Kylian Mbappe as an anytime goal scorer. That at plus 115. Wow. Do you follow this pretty closely, Jimmy? I casually will say. Like, I yeah. follow the bigger teams. I, I enjoy the Champions League. Uh, there's definitely those that know more about it than I do. But, yeah, I, they definitely get my viewership for sure. Yeah. Let's drift away from soccer, college basketball action. 
laying the five for the Owls of Florida Atlantic, ranked 10th in the country as they're in Loyola against Chicago. And for tonight's IU game, I'll lay the 11 for the Hoosiers and Mike Woodson against FGCU. Additionally, Xavier Johnson over one and a half three-pointers made and sending some love to the freshman Gabe Cups over six and a half total points for him tonight at Assembly Hall. Eddie or Brian, do you have anything? I do have one. I'm going to take the underdog here in this top 25 game. Uh, One team is ranked, the other is not. I will take the Baylor Bears on the money line, plus 102. I like that. I went back and forth with it, and then Bruce Pearl spooked me. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to watch. All trust. What did he do? What did Bruce he Pearl was there. say? He was there. That's all it was. He was there, and it's it's like Eddie mentioned, basically a toss-up game. I, I I like both coaches, but I decided, you know what, I'm going to watch this as a fan. I'll invest my money on the Hoosiers instead. Eddie's a braver man than I is what I'm saying there. And then additionally, <laughs> I will take Iowa minus 19 and Ooh. a half. Uh, we know the Hawkeyes can score. I do not know if North Dakota can score enough points to cover 20, quite mm. frankly, just because of how potent that offense always is for Fran McCaffrey. Yeah, and if uh, Iowa is not scoring, the looks, the daggers that <laughs> Fran shoots at them, you know, they're like, all right, we got we to gotta pick it up over All-time here. dagger list for sure. Oh, my yes. gosh. Yeah, right? Who else is on the dagger list? Tom Coughlin has got to be. Yeah. Bill Parcells got to be on the dagger list. I feel like Parcells, his daggers meant more because he's a more like imposing figure. <laughs> Coughlin looks at you. It's like if push came to shove, you know, Coughlin's not going to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Parcells might, <laughs> you know, I think he's on the dagger list. Um, by the way, NFL, this feels like a, an eternity from now. But on Sunday, how about the Cowboys at home favored by 16 and a half against the Giants? And what is it going to be? Tommy DeVito behind center again? <laughs> Look, Jimmy, I know this is a divisional matchup and I don't I don't make a habit out of laying even over a touchdown, you know, but double digits well into it 16 and a half. How how are the Giants going to score? How are they going to keep this close? And I think this is the other question. If you're willing to lay 16 and a half, what's the number where you say that's just too much, I can't do it? What is it? 20 I, right? Is it 21 and a hook? Right? Yeah. Is it 21 and a half? And you're like, okay, that's just it, gross. If like, you're willing to jump into 16 and a half, we're talking at least three scores, right? Like, it's got to be. Man, what are you doing there? If you had to, are you laying 16 and a half? Here's why I would lay the 16 and a half, because this feels like a game where the intuition says, ah, that's so many points. Look at all the points. And uh-huh. you start to really look at the Giants and... <sighs> A statement opportunity again for the Cowboys after a inability to close against Philadelphia. I'd, I'd lay the 16 and a half I was forced to. Man, it might be Saquon left, Saquon right. It's third and six. Nah, screw it. Saquon up the middle, you know? <laughs> yep. Tommy DeVito. Woof. <laughs> Woof. Man, that's, that's rough right there. What about, uh, let's see. Looking at the NFL slate, we got five and four versus five and four. Saints against the Josh Dobbs led Vikings. Can he run it back? Can the astronaut do so? That's the main question here. Did you see that, by the way? 
Yes. What? What, like, Josh Jobs is an astronaut, and he's going on the NASA trip to Mars in 2024. Wow. He's going to Mars? Yes. <laughs> That's a real thing? Yes. Wow. Who else has gone to Mars? I, nope. I don't think... Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> so Josh Dobbs, after conquering the Falcons, is conquering Mars? Nope. By the way, nope. as we're here, and I know that our paths might not cross again, uh, but dedicate a listener to the show, know that you and I had a bet for oh. Dolphins Chiefs regarding a phone background yeah. game change. I just sent you that picture. Oh. And, for, and for the YouTube audience, oh, it is glorious because Brian knows what the Dolphins are chasing. Just the nice Chiefs Super Bowl oh, championship man. banner on the, on the backdrop of the phone. Yes, it is. Um, you have to tweet out proof, by the way. <laughs> I will. I'll do that. And I'm, I'm a man of my word. I'll have this for the rest of the month. I'll put it there right after the show. And uh, yeah, it's just a little montage. You've got Mahomes yelling. You've got Chris Jones there. You've got uh, Travis Kelsey. This looks like Tyron Matthew, who's uh, not there anymore. It looks like, is that D Ford? He's not there anymore. <laughs> hey, Are we sure he wasn't hey. offsides? <laughs> oh, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, but in all seriousness, been great having you back through in the saddle. And uh, yeah, like I said, I hope, hope we get an opportunity to do it again. Man, for sure. Always great hanging with you guys. And you came bearing birthday gifts. You know, when I had a little over $800 invested in various parlays that would have earned me about $8,000. And I said, hey, guys, would you hedge? You know, it's all down to Jonathan Taylor. He's got to get 70 rushing yards. Would you hedge a little bit and be guaranteed to walk away with a profit? And uh, Jimmy just hit me with, oh, hell. That was it. That was yeah, his advice. Let the record show I did not weigh in on whether or not you should yeah, hedge or not. I just gave in. you the bad Tyreek advice. Yeah. And then uh, and then Eddie with the, uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good. I still love you guys. And it makes for a funny story. So Yeah. You, you, you can carry goes. that in the bad beat arsenal for sure. Oh, that is. Uh, I think that's. Number one on the power rankings right now. JMV, top of the hour. Keep it locked here on The Fan.